Welcome to the Galen Trombley Show. You can find me on Facebook at Galen Trombley, on Instagram at Galen Trombley, and on YouTube at Galen Trombley. Spelling G-A-E-L-A-N-T-R-O-M-B-L-E-Y. Enjoy the show. On episode 47 of the Galen Trombley Show, I have Philip Page. Uh, Philip is a licensed real estate salesperson um, out of, well, he works for TLC Real Estate out in Governor. Um, we go into a whole host of, of topics. Uh, this is the first time I've actually had someone in real estate on the podcast, which um, was fun for me. Um, so we went into everything. We talked a lot about real estate. We kind of got a little more in the weeds because um, me and him talk the same language. We also talk about his love of history, his um, kind of role in politics, and a lot of other cool things. Philip's a really uh, interesting cat. So I hope you guys enjoy episode 47 of the Galen Trombley Show. Welcome to the Galen Trombley Show. Welcome to episode 47 of the Galen Trombley Show. Uh, When I started this podcast, one of the people that I thought about or, or I, I really followed was Joe Rogan. And one of the cool things about Joe Rogan is he brings a lot of fun, like cool characters on the show, but Joe at heart is a, is a true comedian and he has a lot of comedian buddies that come on. Probably almost every other episode is probably one of his comic buddies. I have not really had the luxury of doing that with any other uh, real estate professionals yet. Um, I'm sure in the future it will open up to that a little bit, but this I think is the first time I've actually had anybody in real estate on the show, which makes me happy because I now feel like I'm kind of like getting somebody in my field. So we, we, this might be, there's gonna be a lot we touch on, but obviously there's gonna be a lot of probably like nerding out on real estate, which we, me and Ellie do every week on Realty Talk anyways, but now we're, we're kind of diving it over, or bringing it over to the Galen Trombley show. So today I have Philip Page. Uh, Philip is a licensed real estate salesperson out of Governor, and he works at TLC Real Estate. So few hours west of us, but I've been following him a while on social media. We, we kind of know each other, I think more through social media, but we've met before. Um, he's, he's a great guy. So Philip, welcome to the show. Glad to be here. So if you're Joe, am I Bert? Am I Tom? We're going to have to figure pick. this out by the you end. You can pick. You're not as big as them. So yeah, true. You, you not could, yet. Not, yeah, not, don't, yeah. Don't, don't be as big as those guys. Physically big as yeah, those yeah, guys. Of course, so of course. Um, you can be whoever you want. I, I really like Andrew Santino. Maybe that. You could be the Cheeto. Che- Cheeto. Yeah, you can be the Cheeto. So you, do you listen to Rogan a lot? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that's like my guilty pleasure is listening to those guys. And I, Santino to me is one of the funniest guys on earth. And then obviously I listen to like Shab and Callens mm-hmm. and then I, which do you listen to those guys too? Oh yeah. Fighter and the Kid. Anytime they can get Dalia on, I'm, I'm very happy. Cause well, and they just started uh, Two Bears, One Cave. Tom and Bert have a new podcast. I heard that. I haven't listened to it. Just listened to episode five on the way here. Tears rolling down my face really? multiple times. It's, wait, so good. It's Bert and who? And Tom Segura. Oh, geez. Yeah. Yeah. It's real good. Tom was just in Burlington uh, about three weeks ago. Oh, nice. I, I didn't go. It was like a random Sunday night. And I'm mm-hmm. like, ah, I, I just didn't have anybody to go with. But that, I think that would have been, it would have been a good show. My buddy went in Kansas and was mm-hmm. texting me. He's like, dude, you got to go to it. He's hilarious. But yes. I didn't end up going. So Phil, uh, tell people who do not know who you are. A little background, how you became 2019 Philip Page. Three P's, one L. Three P's, one L. <laughs> so uh, I live in the town, uh, Madrid. My family's been there for over 100 years. I'm pretty obsessed with it, as you know if you follow me on any social media. Um, 
graduated Madrid Waddington, Potsdam State for undergrad, politics, history, Maxwell School uh, for public administration. I did government for a little under two years. I was deputy county administrator up in St. Lawrence County. And uh, like a true crazy person, decided to run for office, the New York State Assembly. Uh, we can get into that later if you want. That was a crazy experience. And at the same time I was doing that, I was just getting into real estate. I thought at that point, oh, this will be a great side job, some income here and there, not a, a full-time rodeo. Uh, fortunately, I was not successful in the campaign, um, but I didn't get arrested like the other guy, so I think I really did win. Uh, <laughs> And uh, now real estate is full time and a half, so everything worked out uh, just as it was meant to. And uh, now here we are in 2019. So, so that that was probably the best best version. When I say background, sometimes they're super long. Sometimes mm-hmm. they're like they miss a bunch of points, but that was yep. good. So, all right. So Magic Waddington. I have heard of Magic Waddington, so mm-hmm. that's a good thing. So and you, you guys... pronounce Madrid correctly. You got Matt beat already. What did he say, Madrid? Or Madrid. He does Madrid. This, yeah, you'll have to have Yeah, he, he draws, he says, he always says water is water. So he's, uh, one, he's you mm-hmm. know, he's, he's Southern New York guy. So, no, I, I know too because I've had a, kind of a less, well, we played sports against them back in the day. Mm-hmm. But then I knew Madrid Waddington just, I think, through that. And then obviously um, Ellie, who works with us, is from out that way. Mm-hmm. Her, I don't know if I can say it live, her boyfriend... Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is is from um, is also from out there, and they also mm-hmm. had different pronunciations for like Parishville, Hopkinton, and all those things. Or isn't he from Hopkin? I think so. So it's it's spelled as if. It so you be, know Ellie and John, right? Yeah. Okay. Yep. I went to Potsdam State with Ellie, and John I think was there at the same time, but I don't remember. Uh, him. Yeah, I, I actually I have to go back and re-listen to the podcast mm-hmm. with him on it to figure out because I think it there was like an overlap, but yeah. So, so his town is Hopkinton. But it's pronounced hop kitten, like hop and kitten, the animal. Really? Hop yep. kitten? Yep. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, so. I'll have to bring it up. He sounds, he sounds like a hop kitten kind of guy. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he is a cat guy at heart. Um, okay, so what, what year did you graduate from Madrid? 2011. Okay, and then you went to Potsdam yep. for political science? And is history. In history. Yep. Okay, so, so really, like, what got you into... I mean, high school, that's great and all. We all went to high school. But go, to go in, I think you kind of become who you are when you go to college and figure out what mm-hmm. you really want to study. So had, when did you get into political, like politics, and when did you get into history? Well, I was a freak of a child. And uh, that question you ask a little kid, oh, what do you want to be when you grow up? My answer was town supervisor. So uh, the answer to that is when I was about three, I was interested in politics. I was the kid who'd be 14 years old sitting at a town board meeting. Um, more up to date on the issues than many of the people who are at the table. Really? Yeah. I've, I've so you been actively went to those? Oh, yeah. And county legislature meetings. I managed the majority of campaigns for the legislature in 14. We flipped the chamber, took control. Um, when I went to that meeting, um, I was working for Senator Patty Ritchie. And uh, one of her staff members said, you know, you should really go to this meeting. You know how to use social media. These old guys don't do any of that. Um, But they're going to be really against doing these things. So I went with the expectation that this would not be a fruitful uh, meeting. Much to my surprise, they essentially said, do whatever you want. You're in charge now. Uh, So we managed a number of campaigns, um, some of which I did not expect to be successful based on enrollment. they were successful, and uh, we pretty radically changed the trajectory of county government. And I was a college student at that time. This is St. Lawrence County? Yes. 
Okay, so for people that don't know, which is partially me, St. Lawrence County is is that's the largest county in the United or not in the United States in New York State, big time. Um, now, how far east, how far west, and how far like southeast does it go? So obviously it covers the whole border. Yep. If you look at the top corners, so the northern corners, you go from the um, Mohawk Reservation just outside of Messina in Hogansburg, all the way down to Chippewa Bay, almost to Alex Bay. So if you were to drive one end to the other, an hour and a half maybe, and then going south, the two southern points, uh, you'd be in Piercefield by Tupper Lake, and then you'd be um, over almost to Harrisville in Lewis County. Wow. So Route 3 from corner to corner, that end of the county is much narrower, but even there is probably an hour drive. So how far is the like the very tip, like the farthest, I guess west would be like to Syracuse, probably what, an hour and a half? Yeah. Okay, so it's not that bad. Yeah, um, we played Harrisville in soccer too mm-hmm. at one point. They're they're out there. That's yes. probably a three hour hike from there at least. Yeah, by bus maybe more. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's crazy. Okay, so go back. So you ended up St. Lawrence County, and is now how far is Governor from Madrid? Forty five minutes. So you live in yep. Madrid still, but we opened an office in Potsdam. Truth be told, I'm almost never in the office. I'm usually out in the field. Um, but yeah, originally um, I was yeah, 45 minutes from the office, so I didn't do much office time even from the start. So there's, there's one in Potsdam? Yes. And there's one in Governor? And then one in Carthage in Jefferson County. Okay. And then is there anything in Madrid real estate-wise? Nope. Okay. So that's kind of like your two closest points. So mm-hmm. Madrid is really a small, small area. It's probably like yep. Shazy where I went to school. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So go back in. So politics... You ended up 2014, you ran, ran some of these from the social media perspective. Mm-hmm. Oh, and also the boots on the ground perspective. Oh, really? Okay. So we married the two. Okay. Um, and we took a lot of people, including myself, by surprise. And, and you obviously love doing that. Oh, yeah. Okay. So this is, this is before you decided to run. Correct. Okay. So what year did you run in it? 2000 and... Was it 18? No. Jeez, that's terrible that I can't remember. It would have been 2018, but I started the campaign in 17. Okay. So fairly recent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the the challenge was there had been an incumbent in there for 25 years. Um, He had been for years saying, this is my last term. This is my last term. Um, The district itself is a weird chunk of St. Lawrence County, all of Hamilton, most of Herkimer, six towns in Oneida, wrapping around Utica and Rome, and then all of Fulton County. So Gloversville, Johnstown, huge district. Um, It's a tough district. Uh, geographically, you have to cross the whole Adirondacks to get from one part of it to the other. Um, and then just in terms of its enrollment, very, very rock rib Republican. So whoever was going to win the primary is the de facto assembly person. So we had to, just based on New York State's um, election calendar, be prepared to run almost a year out to really get boots on the ground and to, to build the base of support you would need. So I had to resign my position with the county to run insane decision number one. Of many. Okay. So why, why was that insane? Like what's... Well, I was 23 years old. I was in the second highest appointed position in the county, making very good money with benefits. And oh, I, I okay. threw that to the wind. Oh, I uh, thought that was like... A, I thought that... I didn't know that was your full-time job. I thought oh, that was yeah. something you did as like a, as like a volunteer. No, 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 no. That, oh, so you were staff. That was managing a $232 million budget and 900 county employees. Wow. At 23, that's pretty impressive. So, okay. So... <laughs> Um, how old do you have to be to run for assembly? 18 in theory. Oh, really? Okay. Yep. So 
Okay, so you went from so okay, so what what was the campaign like? So you you completely you had to resign, obviously conflict of interest, mm-hmm. and then did you run in a primary or did you run like did you just primary? Okay, so this was all just to get to the original primary. So you were yes. running against somebody in a primary, two people. Okay, um, and uh, I'm going to be very frank. the The person I ran against originally um, had run the previous cycle against the incumbent. Um, nice guy. Uh, in my estimation, was really lacking in policy, um, and I, I, at least in my estimation, we have enough old white politicians. It would be nice to get some youth and vigor in there and some new ideas. So it was he and I in the start. Then there were rumors of like five different people from Fulton County jumping in, ranging from very credible to I wouldn't have taken them extremely seriously. The fellow who I was taking the most seriously was a retired Marine colonel. On paper, checked all the right boxes. And I thought to myself, well, if he jumps in, I'm toast. Um, He ended up jumping in. Uh, We had our first debate, and he couldn't answer a single question. Uh, A number of people he brought there as his supporters to the debate approached me at the end of it and said, he's going to have some real trouble. He doesn't know how to answer a question. Everything was evasive, didn't have the substance. So I started to feel a little bit more confident about that. Um, And then I started to feel a lot more confident because it became uh, publicly known that he had broken a number of laws and was arrested. And uh, you would have thought maybe that would be enough to end the campaign. So he was arrested during the campaign cycle? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was claiming, and mind you, he on paper was living in the district. That was not actually the case. He was living in Niskayuna, which is in Schenectady County, and he was serving on the assessment board of review in Johnstown. So somebody who understood local assessment, tax policy, things of that nature. He was claiming primary residence tax credits on both his house in Fulton County and in Niskayuna. Tens of thousands of dollars in benefits he was collecting a year. So he got busted for that, um, was arrested, indicted, um, was urged by many beyond just myself and my opponent that maybe it was wise to step out. Uh, he instead invested more than $100,000 in his own campaign. And uh, there was a poll done, and it was roughly a third, a third, a third. And at that point, I said, the biggest public service I can do right now, because I'm the furthest from these people, I've raised the least amount of money, I should drop out and endorse the other guy to hopefully assure that a criminal does not become the assembly person. So I did that, and he won anyway. So This is all primary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. But the primary, essentially, in that district is the election. Okay. So once he won that, he was the assembly person. So there's nobody running in the other... Or if they were, they were had very little chance of winning. Exactly. Okay. Nice guy. Very nice guy. Keith Rubino, he um, actually, at the, the debate, he and I were the only ones that could answer a question with any substance, which was kind of funny. We had these two relatively distinguished older people on the stage and they didn't know their butt from a hole in the ground when it came to policy. So, um, so I'm not, I'm like, I, I have, let me see. I understand politics a little bit. I don't really get into politics just because smart. I'm yeah, I, I'm busy with a lot of stuff, but at the end of the day, I like local politics more than Mm -hmm. as it gets up the, up the line. So for me, like a, especially in a local political scene, which is, that's fairly local. I mean, Mm -hmm. being, you know, kind of the assembly is that, you would think you would pick somebody that at least has a good handle. I always, it, if I had some of the people here that, younger ones that are working here, 
I am the worst like job interv- interviewer because mm-hmm. like you can bring a resume and everything else. I literally just sit there and talk with you. Yep. And if, to me, if I get a good vibe, meaning like you can speak to me fine, you have a good, like you carry yourself well, sounds like you have the ambition to want to do something, then I'm good. Because I don't really care about what you did or what you're going to do or whatever because mm-hmm. you can learn pretty much anything. Yep. So to me, I would do the same thing in politics. If I sat there and I listened to someone talk, I had, um, you know Billy Jones? Yep. So Billy was here actually a couple couple episodes ago. And I told him, I said, I you came to an, an Adirondack Young Professionals meeting. I wasn't really in tune with politics. And I said, you talked at, like you really cared. And, and it sounded like you knew what you were doing. And it sounded just by the way you were talking that you were very passionate about the position. Mm-hmm. So I said, you kind of won me over right then and there because I'm kind of a gut feeling person. I'm like, this guy seems like he would do a good job. I voted for him. And sure enough, he's been there for probably going on three years now. And I thought he's been doing a great job. So to me, I would think that's how people would vote. But that's not. Now, do you find that people are very much in line with like, I'm with my party. and I'm going to. Well, I guess this is primary. So it doesn't really matter at that point. But well, but there was another variable in, in play. And that's the um, 300 pound gorilla at 1600 Pennsylvania Ave. Um, I do not support the president. I did not support him in the campaign. I knew verbalizing that is not a wise thing to do in a Republican primary. I mean, you see the polls. He has really wrapped up support amongst the Republican primary electorate of whom I was seeking support. And perhaps I was honest to a fault when somebody asked me, you know, what do you think about the president? I would list off a a litany of things that I thought he was way out of line on. And I would say, you know, here's where we have common ground, infrastructure, things of that nature. But behavior, um, just past character um, issues, and then on the substance. I mean, it's just gotten worse since then. But I, the likelihood that I would be successful in a Republican primary, holding those views and at least being willing to say them publicly, virtually non-existent. So it became more and more clear as the campaign rolled on. Uh, you know, I'd get a policy question, um, a view that I and I think many other young Republicans have is not in line with what all the Republicans believe. So, um, and being an openly gay man in a Republican primary, I had a number of variables running against me, um, but I needed to learn that lesson the hard way. Because mm-hmm. I would have been, well, hopefully someday I'll be 93 years old sitting in a rocking chair saying, why didn't I do that? Why didn't I do that? Well, I did it. Mm-hmm. I tried, I gave it my best. I'm glad I did it, but I'm glad I lost. Um, sometimes when I'll be driving back from Albany visiting family, I think, I would be doing this multiple times a week, driving from one end of the district to the other to communities, frankly, I know nothing about three hours away. Um, Is that really what I want to do? And the answer is no. I'm glad it didn't work out. It it was a blessing in disguise. And I'm much happier now with real estate than I think I would have been uh, doing a, a job like that. So, I mean, do you have any ambition to go back into politics? Super local. Yeah. Um, I really did like county government. I really do like town government. I also think that's where you can make the biggest difference. Mm-hmm. Um, the challenge for me is I'm ripping up my Republican um, party card after the primary. I'm going to vote for whomever is not Donald Trump in the primary, and then I'm going independent. Um, neither party represents my philosophy anymore. So I can't, uh, I can't remain a member of a party that uh, has totally forsaken its principles. I... Uh so I usually don't talk, like one of my rules on the show is never talk politics, meaning I just don't like debate people. Yeah, I mean, we, yeah, can yeah. Talk, like I, we can talk politics on the surface, but mm-hmm. I don't like really saying you're wrong or this is wrong or that's wrong. Mm-hmm. I had Mike Cashman on 
who is our town supervisor or town of Plattsburgh supervisor Mm -hmm. and great guy. I think just doing a phenomenal job. And he said the same thing. He's very much um, local politics. He likes local politics. I think he excels at local politics. Not to say he wouldn't do great things Mm -hmm. farther on, but I think his bread and butter and, and passion is with the local people. And he said, well, he said he had said that. And my, my thing with like policy and, and political lines and stuff, I find that I'm very in line with a lot of people up here because mm-hmm. we're coming from the kind of the same background and we understand the same things and deal with the same, you know, pros and cons every day. As you get farther, and this is just going to naturally occur, as you get farther towards, say, the presidency, so you're jumping up a step, that person is not going to check all the boxes because they're dealing with cities, they're dealing with West Coast, East Coast. Uh, people that are you know impoverished, people that have a lot of money, and like um, they're they're taking such a broad spectrum that it's kind of the same thing. There's too much of um, it, what's the term with stats? You know, there's too much of a of a number or deal. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or what is that? Um, now, now, Matt, I can't get that name. You, you know what I mean? The pool of people that you're dealing with yes. is so large that you're going to end up finding more of an average kind of thing than a more mm-hmm. of a direct. So. I'm always sympathetic to that. So to me, like the, I watch the political presidential as more of reality TV. If that's if that's you know where you see the headlines and you see all the people make fun of them, and then you actually go like, I love election night. I love just watching it because mm-hmm. then you get all the nerdy guys on TV. They get really into it, and I I really don't care. So I just watch it more from a, of a history perspective because yep. those are always going to be your presidents. You learn the presidents growing up. Mm-hmm. Um. But at the local level, I find that people are a lot more in tune because, I mean, like I said, Donald Trump, I'm trying to think of the presidents in my lifetime. I've never agreed with all of them on mm-hmm. everything. Yep. And there's some that I do like because I find that I'm very, I'm a very moderate person. Mm-hmm. But I find that like my viewpoints in certain aspects definitely lean different ways, but you're never going to find a carbon copy of that person. I mean, I'm sure, like I'm sure me and you align on probably quite a bit of mm-hmm. stuff, but unless, you know, like I said, from a... Um, a local scene I would probably vote for you from a uh, national scene Mm -hmm. I I would still but you would never like I said you'd probably never get to that level because of because of but the one thing I think that's good about you is that you're going you're not kind of faking it to do what people want to get there Mm -hmm. and I think that's something that I would if I ever ran for politics which I'm not going to but I'm saying if I ever did it would be something where I would just run and say this is what I believe in this is the actual true essence of me mm-hmm. you can vote for me you don't have to but i'm not going to go in and fake it and and say one thing or the other try to appease a f- certain group so that I, I assume is probably the demise of your political career which is a good thing but i think at the end of the day as being like a normal person that's mm-hmm. a that's a cool thing to to actually have so what that brings me to is out of politics why did you get into real estate? Because I think they both, and I'll come back to that point later on in real estate, but how did you, where'd you find the interest in real estate? Who got you into it? Um, and kind of give us your background of just the real estate realm, like mm-hmm. timeline. So I'm very much obsessed with local history. Um, and local homes, local historic homes have always been kind of a favorite topic of mine. And uh, growing up in Madrid, there was this house down the street um, looks very different now than when it did um, when I was a kid. At that point, it hadn't been painted in probably 40 years. It, uh, if you ever watched the Munsters or the Adams Family, it very much rem- res- resembled, actually more so the Munsters because the Munsters had a tower on their house. So it looked like a creepy haunted house, and I loved this place. Every Halloween, 
I'd go up to the door, get my candy, and I'd be peeking behind Nancy, who was the owner, to see this big grand staircase she had, all fancy wood paneled. And I you know, always thought, oh, it would be so nice to live there or even just get a tour. So even as a kid, I loved these historic houses. Um, then when I bought the house, well, I should give you some history on that. The house ended up getting pretty substantially renovated maybe 15 years ago. Siding, new roof, new windows. Looks hell of a lot better than it did then. Um, the house went up on the market just as I was moving to Syracuse for grad school. So I was pretty bummed. I thought, well, it'll be gone by the time I get back. Great house, great piece of property, looks right up the river. You'd be a fool not to buy it, is how I think. Well, uh, fortunately for me, it was still on the market. And uh, I approached the owner, I think even before I reached out to the realtor, because I didn't know what etiquette was in those days. Now it happens to me all the time. And I'm like, ah, you can't do that. But um, I said to Nancy at the time, one of these days I'd really like to buy your house. And uh, I, I don't know if she necessarily took me seriously at that point. And uh, I was still in the process of being hired as assistant county administrator. So at that point I didn't even have a job. So how the hell would I buy this house? I don't have income. And I have a bazillion dollars in student loan debt. Um, ended up getting the job made my first offer and uh if i could turn back time my offer was so offensive oh if i were her and i got the offer i made on that house i would have just never looked at another offer from that kid ever again hindsight's 2020 so i made a super low ball offer we did not come to terms then months and months and months passed i tried again we reached terms i think i still got a hell of a deal on the house um, but the whole process I found very fascinating. My realtor was great, um, very um, open to explaining to me, you know, parts of the process. And uh, so I kind of built some rapport with her. And then, um, you know, maybe a year later, I'm at the county and a professor of mine who had moved to Georgia wanted me to go look at a house for him. So I called my realtor, my previous realtor, and I said, would you take me to see this house for this other person? She said, yes. And I got to asking her in that walkthrough, do you think I could do this job with this? You know, would I be all right at this? And she was enthusiastic. She said, oh, you would be great. You should do this. So I started uh, thinking more thoroughly about that. Uh, my partner, Nick, was also interested. He did uh, real estate investing. So I took the exam or took the course, took the exam, um, did some hunting for uh, which firm I wanted to join. Um, the first firm that I had on my list um, I'm not going to use names, approached them. It looked very good, but they wouldn't let me do social media. And I think one of my biggest assets was I had a pretty large social media audience and I knew how to expand that um, primarily because of the political work I'd done. I had done digital micro-targeting before um, and because they weren't, wouldn't let me do that, um, I went and looked elsewhere, and TLC was extremely open um, to me doing that. They already did a number of social media things that I thought were pretty impressive. So that's how I ended up with TLC. Um, also, their commission split was a hell of a lot better, too, so that certainly helped. But, um, yeah, so that's how I ended up uh, where I am. My, um, my lofty goal, again, probably too transparent here, uh, my lofty goal for year one was to sell a million dollars in volume. I did not even come freaking close. So this is what year? Um, last year, 18. So, okay, so this is year two for you. Yes. Okay. Yep. So, so this is sell one mil. Yep. Okay. That's, and that's a, 
What's your average price point there? Oh, big county like ours, it depends on the market you're in. So it does fluctuate quite yeah, a bit? Yeah, if you're okay. in Canton, Potsdam, 150, start to radiate out with a few exceptions of uh, waterfront mm-hmm. communities, 70, 80, yeah. 90 if you're so, lucky. So a mill is probably like 15 to 18 deals for you? Yeah, I mean, if you represent just one side. Yeah. Um, so that was my goal year one. Oh, boy. I did not, like I said, not even come close. I think I sold, technically sold two. I had three under contract, one we closed after the first of the year for tax purposes, which was a bummer, especially when you're new and you really need the paycheck. And the person's like, oh, can we uh, push the closing off for two months? And both parties agree. And I'm like, damn. So that was a bummer. But I think my total volume for year one was like 400 if I'm lucky. Uh, It was really, the conversation I was having in my head was, you can't do this full time. Start looking for other work. Uh, and it was really close to the point where I was just going to say, gave it a shot. It wasn't for me. It was fun. Don't get me wrong. I really liked it, but I can't survive on $18,000 in a year. And I didn't even make $18,000 in year one. Um, I don't remember what I actually brought home, but it wasn't that. That's um, pre-tax. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Uh, so then I set a super lofty goal for myself for year two, and that was $3 million. And I had $3 million under contract by March 1st. So year two has been leaps and bounds better. I have the client base. I have the listing base. It's full time and a half. Uh, I'm an early riser. I'm answering emails and texts at 5.45 in the morning, usually answering the last one, 9.30 as I go to bed. Um, but that's not a complaint. I love it. Each day is different. You experience, as you know, the full range of emotions in a single day. Uh, you meet great people. I'm obsessed with a lot of these houses I'm representing, especially the historic ones. I totally drool over it. I do extra research, go to the County Historical Association, go through old deeds, old newspapers. I eat that stuff up. Um, so now now we're up to present day, uh, Philip in real estate. So, no, that, that that's good. So right now you're too, I mean... This is year two for you. So mm-hmm. where do you think, well, I always say, always basically knowing your numbers, I have my board over there. With, mm-hmm. I know my numbers from 16 all the way up to 19 currently. Mm-hmm. Um, where does that put you? Like what's three mil out there? Is that, I mean, are you at, for, near the top or at the top? Pretty darn close. Probably, you're probably, oh, you're not, you're at three mil now. You're more than that, but. Yeah, I think I'm in the top 10. We have a hundred and more than 120 agents. Yeah, it's just similar to us. Yeah, yeah. so I, I'm pretty happy to have gone from year one being like number 110 to top 10. Yeah. That's that's Um, very impressive. That I find necessarily maybe less motivating. Um, There are people who poo pooed me as I got in that I enjoy being well ahead Mm -hmm. of, but just being number eight. mm, Yeah. Yeah. I like the checks when they come in. That's what really... Oh, that's what drives you? Well, yeah. Well, because... <laughs> Some people do. It's always like, what's kind of your motivation in real estate? I think it'll change. Um, but again, being super transparent, running for office, losing my income and benefits, I went into significant debt. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm clawing my way out of it. So at this point, it's motivating because I take a check and I say, boom, this credit card is paid off. It's no longer a thing anymore. This student loan is no longer a thing anymore. Yeah. So the the freedom it's afforded me, both with regard to my schedule, um, if I say, okay, next Tuesday I'm absolutely not scheduling anything, half the time I do anyway, but in theory, 
that I really like. But also, it's quite nice to uh, be able to look back and say, yes, I left a very stable job with good income, but I'm making more than twice that now Mm -hmm. in a job I actually like. Mm -hmm. Uh, That makes a much bigger difference than anything else. But certainly right now, just getting my way out of debt, the checks are quite nice. I'm very happy with that. Um, So... And for people, this might be a whole real estate podcast because there's about a million things I want to ask. This I don't get to do this often, like pick people's brains about real mm-hmm. estate. So, um, yeah, okay. So, so the the commission aspect that's good. Now, I I know you have quite a bit of listings, which is mm-hmm. which honestly for year two is huge because I think listing wise right now for my business, I'm probably ap- approaching. I would say 40 per, 35 40% listings. Mm-hmm. Obviously the goal is to go from you start off with 100% buyers, 0% listings and you work your whole career basically to get that completely flip-flopped. Um so I've been able to get it almost to about 40% and this is my ninth year. Mm-hmm. So what where do you think the like what percentage of your business do you think are listings versus buyers and why do you think you've had such an increase? Actually, answer that question first. What per- what percentage, roughly? Mm, certainly more listings than buyers, but that's also preference too. Like, um, there there was a point this summer when I one hundred percent truly, like I don't say this as hyperbole, I did not have capacity to take on anymore. Just time wise, mm-hmm. I couldn't do it. Yep. So I was making referrals. I'd pay for Zillow, and we, you're not a huge fan of Zillow. Mm-hmm. But I just wouldn't be taking the Zillow calls. I was wasting the money on on those leads because I couldn't do any more. Um, but I also I got pretty lucky in that uh, number of my my big listings from this year. I ended up with a dual arrangement on, which is definitely nice. Mm-hmm. Um, so those were a lot easier because it's just myself I'm communicating with uh, for coordination. So that made it a little bit easier. But I would say. Like right now, this moment, probably 60-40. That's impressive. So where where do you think your listings are coming from? Because the thing with listings, very rarely do listings, at least in my experience, come through a Zillow or come through something else. A lot of it is relationships of who you know Mm -hmm. and or referrals to you. Um, So is that, like, where do you think the listings came from? Social media. Yeah. So you do have a big following on that? Yeah. And there aren't many agents in our market or even brokerages that really have a super active social media game. Um, if you were to look at the top 10 agents in our MLS, very few of them do much, if any social media. Um, and the, the thing that has really worked out well for me, specifically the historic listings, the fact that I am doing that extra research and I do the live walkthroughs, that's something that nobody else is doing. Mm-hmm. So it kind of sets me apart when people are evaluating, well, who do we want to list our property? Traditional or somebody who has a little bit more pizzazz and will do some untraditional things. I think that served me well. And then referrals from those people who have trusted me to sell their house, when it goes well and they tell their friends, they post about it on social media, it kind of has a multiplier effect. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say... Of all variables, social media has been the biggest driver uh, for my business. So kind of what you just said, I call it the snowball effect mm-hmm. um, in the sense that when you first start out in real estate, like you said, two deals in year one, I had three deals in year one. It mm-hmm. was 
you're rolling a snowflake and then it compoundly gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So now, like you said, I mean, I was at a point this year, I'm kind of still at it. I'm, I'm working through, you know, some stuff, but I'm, I'm getting to the point where time-wise I'm maxing myself out between running, you know, I say running, but I mean managing kind of our brokerage here and then expanding and training and mm-hmm. all that stuff plus with the actual job and then plus everything else involved. Um, my days are pretty hectic. But the the idea is that, <clears throat> excuse me, that the listings and social media for you, and this is what I've always thought about kind of compounding, is that I try to take my day-to-day and truly turn it into a media company, truly turn it into, um, there's a reason reality TV, people watch it. Mm-hmm. So why can't you take, with today's day and age, with what we have access to at a fairly cheap and, and easy point of entry, why can't you take today's technology and turn your own life into a reality TV show? Mm-hmm. And I be there's million dollar listing. I don't really watch it. I follow those guys because they're brilliant and I have their books and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, why can't we do, you know, two hundred thousand dollar list? You know, like in, in our areas. But yeah. you take yourself and you make yourself your own media personality. Mm-hmm. And I've seen you do that. Now, obviously, I don't. I'm not in the weeds out in that area, and I don't see what you're seeing every day. My business has completely taken off because of that mm-hmm. and i find that i'm really only doing i'm doing a decent amount but I, I find that i'm not even scratching the surface as to what i could do and my goal is over the next probably year is to really take what i'm doing now which i think is blows anybody in our area out of the water mm-hmm. is completely put me on like another planet yep um so what, what are some of the things that you're doing right now social media wise that you think are adding to the trajectory of what you've been doing is it just instagram is it you know is it other avenues it's um and what are you posting or what do you focus on when you're doing social media so instagram i have i don't think i've gotten a single deal or lead from instagram but it's my social media happy place Mm -hmm. that's where i go look at stories look at beautiful pictures that's more of a a fun place for me um facebook is really the deal driver for me and it's um you know, micro-targeting the listings to people who have a propensity to buy, um, doing those live videos, um, doing the Q&A, you know, asking in advance for people to submit questions, and I will do my best to answer them. Um, I have ideas, like you were saying, of things I want to do in the future. I'd love to have an appraiser sit with me and answer some questions. I'd love to have a home inspector sit with me and answer some questions. Uh, an attorney. Uh, I'm working with some great young attorneys who I think have a little bit more appetite to um, be innovative and participate in things of that nature. So the the future is really bright in many ways, but that way, you know, in my one, three, and five-year plan, like you say, I want to do a lot more of that. Um, and then certainly, just as the, you know, the market starts to slow as we enter fall and go into winter, I can game plan and actually execute on some of those things. Um, right now, I pretty much don't have capacity, but there is a, a plan in the works to do more like that. And I think that uh, learning from other agents like yourself and other people I follow both in the state and across the country, I'm like, oh, that's a damn good idea. I should do something like that. And in many case, you know, in all cases, it's not like we're in the same market. So I'm not stealing an idea from Galen and it's going to take away business from Galen. I'm stealing an idea from Galen that is not going to affect him in the least. Um, so I, I don't feel as badly about stuff like that. Whereas if I were stealing from brokerage A, B, or C in Potsdam, I'd be like, well 
this looks bad, then I'm just copying what they're doing. Mm -hmm. It's been kind of fun, though, because now there are a few who are starting to do more social media, mm -hmm. starting to do live videos. Very nice people, and I'm glad that they're doing it. But it's, it's become so much my thing. When other people see it, they're like, oh, I saw Agent X, Y, and Z did this. It wasn't as good as yours. And I'm like, thanks, fist bump. So that's kind of fun. Th that's it, honestly me in a nutshell. So I started... I started getting into social media probably five years ago, very basic. And I go back to my first things on, it was Facebook at the time. And they were awful. They were everything I would tell someone not to do. Mm -hmm. And I've slowly grown and grown and grown, figured out what works and research stuff and everything else. And now I'm to the point where, you know, Instagram, I post multiple times a day. Mm -hmm. um, I you know, to the point where I actually marked, I have in my calendar reminders that pop up to say, post this at this time, post mm -hmm. this at this time. I have it very systemized. I have, um, which sync up to Facebook. I also have Jordan that helps me out that puts content out. Mm -hmm. We do a podcast once a week, um, at least once a week, Gail and Trombley show. And once a week, the realty talk, um, we do, uh, I'm now starting to get into LinkedIn that's where I wasn't there before, but now most of my videos on LinkedIn are getting 200 views, and a lot of those views are not people that were on any of my other platforms, nice. and I've noticed an increase there. Um, Instagram is definitely my bread and butter. I'm on it because I find that that's where I post majority. Mm -hmm. The upload speeds are quick. I can be very you know fast. The stories, I try to take advantage of stories. I also try to take advantage of cross-pollinating or cross-promoting um, other people in our area. Mm -hmm. um, kind of what you said before, I would say I was definitely the first person to do it, and I get a lot of that. So if someone else does something, and all of a sudden they're like, "Hey, I saw, you know, Agent A or B do this," and I don't like the way they did it. I like yours better, and I'm sure maybe people say that to other people about mm -hmm, my stuff. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, I really don't care. I put out what I want to put out, and if you like it, great. If not, that's fine. For every person that doesn't like it, there's 50 people that do like it, so I'm okay. I'm still doing what I'm doing. Um, to be honest, anybody that speaks negatively, I always just assume it's just kind of a, from a lack of envy or jealousy, and that mm -hmm. could be agents, or that could be clients, or that could be people. Um, so I had get to get into like kind of like PR moments where it's like you. Not the one where I get in a fight, but you got to kind of kill him with kindness and mm -hmm. kind of point out that, no, sir, your comment was wrong because of X, Y, or Z. Because if you don't, then people think that like you're doing something shady. And at the end of the day, I, I try to stay very in, in line ethically, mm -hmm. legally, everything else. But I find that my stuff has been copied yep. and locally, which is fine. And, and at the end of the day, I mean, I, I think about it. I put out a real estate podcast where I literally just say everything that I do for free. I know there's agents that listen to it. I know there's agents that have copied stuff. That's fine. Mm -hmm. you, like I have no, we have, we have shirts. We have, we have merchandise. I know at least of two brokerages locally that have done it after we did it. That's fine. I know people are going to copy. They copy because it works. So yeah. I always look at if, if somebody's copying something I'm doing, then I'm doing a good job because if I wasn't doing a good job and obviously my numbers and success mm -hmm. are, are validating what I'm doing, but it's the idea that you know, I'm putting everything out for free. So I'm an open book. People can see what I'm doing. I speak very candidly about what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, I'm always fine with telling people because the two things that you're not going to beat me at is you're not going to be more consistent than me. And part of it is you're just not going to be as good at, at it as I am because I'm always researching and getting better. And when you're copying something and learning it, mm -hmm. I'm already 
10, 12 steps ahead working on the next project that's going to be coming out, which yep. I'm always, as you can see mm -hmm. here, I got stuff already in the works. So, um, so what's your, I mean, obviously I think we're very similar in that. I've had a little longer, but your, your trajectory is insane, which is part of the reason why I love following what you do. Mm -hmm. Um, so, I mean, is there anything more on where you kind of, do you have any more plans on things? Obviously you talked about the Q and a aspect, but anything that you can think about, I guess from the media perspective, because mm -hmm. I, I mean, I do some stuff, but a lot of this is new. The podcast is less than a year old. The, the videos and what Jordan's been doing are less than a year old. She started in January. Um, I have a couple interns coming on this. Well, they're here now. Um, mm -hmm. We're just starting. So we're meeting again tomorrow. And hopefully that's going to allow us to increase. We've been doing a vlog once a week. That's start, That's a new thing we're taking mm -hmm. on. So um, have you thought about doing any of these things? Do you? Yeah, so the, the podcast one is particularly compelling. Um, nobody up in St. Lawrence County is doing that, period. I don't know as if I would do it um, as an interview podcast, and maybe I could do spinoffs. The one that I – so I'm – to say I'm addicted to podcasts would be um, not truthful enough. I am – from the moment I'm awake to the moment I'm going to bed, if I'm not talking to somebody, there's a – my little ear pods are in, or if I'm in the car – Rogan's playing, um, my favorite murder. I love true crime. Um, so that the direction that I would probably go, I'm on the board of the County Historical Association, which is like a part-time job also. Um, but I love it. Um, we have this amazing archives that is so underutilized. We have such amazing history, but especially my generation doesn't know or appreciate that. And the way that we're communicating, the medium is not effective anymore. So I have this idea because I love true crime, there were nine um, capital punishment executions in St. Lawrence County for murder in the 1800s. And I did research on each of them. And it would be kind of fun to do a podcast series on the, um, the crime, the trial, and some really bizarre stuff that happened in and around these executions. Uh, I'll tell you two quick uh, little anecdotes. So my office in the county courthouse was on the backside looking out at the old jail. And uh, it's a beautiful marble building. Um, St. Lawrence County is pretty well known for Governor Marble, Potsdam Sandstone. We've got these quarries that were prolific. You know, the Parliament in Canada is built with St. Lawrence County stone. Um, so this building, it's a Richardsonian, Richardsonian Romanesque, that's a mouthful, um, courthouse, stunning. There was uh, this rumor when I got there that sometimes there was the silhouette of a hanging man on the back of the courthouse, which is where the gallows were, to which I was like, hmm, bullcrap. Then one day I'm sitting in the office and our secretary, Rebecca, comes into my office and she goes, so you didn't believe me, look at this. She shows it to me. It could not be more clear. It looks just like the silhouette of a man. It was the way the rain was hitting the stone. The whole wall was dry with the exception of the silhouette. And I'll show you the picture because it's one of those things that until you see it, you're gonna think I'm nuts. You could put it in the, um, what do you call it? The show notes. Show notes. Well, I'll post it. On, yeah, send yeah. it to me. I'll post it. It's yeah. nuts. So that, I was like, wow, that's really cool. And that kind of got me interested in researching um, those crimes and the uh, trials, which happened in that very building and then the um, subsequent um, executions. The other one that I'm kind of um, obsessed with figuring out more on, I think it was the second hanging in St. Lawrence County. Nobody claimed the body of this murderer. 
So these college professors, we have St. Lawrence, Clarkson, SUNY Potsdam, and SUNY Canton in our county, so very much education as our industry. Um, these two college professors claimed the body, put him in what they call the Little River, which is in Canton, allowed the fish and other things to strip the body of the flesh, and then they took the skeleton up to St. Lawrence University and they used it in the classroom. I have been able to track through newspaper articles and through um, college archives there that that skeleton is still somewhere on campus. So now I'm like hunting for this 200-year-old dead body that is floating around a biology lab somewhere. Um, And there's reference in the 60s to um, sororities using it at Halloween. They called him Droopy. There's a whole article about it. And at that point, it didn't seem like they knew that this was the body of a murderer who was hanged in St. Lawrence County. So there's all this cool kind of stuff that I think is a good way to engage a new population in the information that we have at the archives and in the museum. So what are you going to do with a 200-year-old skeleton body? Well, I'm not going to take it, but I want to discover oh, it. Oh, okay. And, and I didn't then, know if you wanted to like put this in like glass frame, bring no, it home no, no, or no, something. No, 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 no. But I would like to, as part of like a, a press release for the, the podcast in concert with the Historical Association, be like, this whole mystery was solved because of the stuff that's in our archives. And if you want, if you have similar questions or if there's a topic you're interested in, come to the archives and the archivist will help you out and show you all these great resources. So it's kind of a marketing strategy for that organization that I care a lot about, but then it can also cross pollinate with real estate. I mean, I'd be expanding my network, meeting new people, getting a new audience. So like you were kind of saying before, your network being so important, yes, 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 and yes. And I think untraditional ways, you know, whether it be Rotary here in um, your county or the Adirondack Young Professionals, Maybe for me, it's a podcast about murder and hangings in St. Lawrence County. Who knows? But just doing things you feel passionately about, expanding your network, meeting these new people, it has a multiplier effect. Yeah, 100%. I, I think the what you said is being unconventional. And there's mm-hmm. times when I first got in the industry, and I'm already happy that you're not doing this because I can, I can tell by the way you talk, is when I got in, I was young. I was 21 when I started. Mm-hmm. And I was very stiff, meaning I was always kind of... I felt at 21, even though I was pretty much done college and everything, that I, when dealing with older people or now being in the professional world, I felt I had to be very straight-laced, had to be like, okay, you know, follow this, you know, act a certain way, you know, don't be fun, engaging, and, and you know, basically be boring mm-hmm. because you got to be professional and that's the way you got to be. Well, it wasn't, and it really wasn't until a few years back. So I went my first few years kind of, each year I got a little more like like loose and, and um, but I was never fully myself until probably a few years back. Mm-hmm. And what happened was I started meeting some people and now anybody that knows me, and obviously I tailor this down a little bit depending on my audience, meaning obviously if I'm with a more reserved client, I'm not going to be over the top. But I find that especially when I'm with my friends or certain clients, I will do stuff and say stuff and and act a certain way that people are like, they think, Hey, you know, I like Galen. Like he's just like this normal person. I go to networking events and I'm kind of the one that's talking to everybody and, and I'm in a couple different groups. And it was funny. I'm in this new kind of like business networking group thing that I've only been in for probably two, two and a half months. And I've gotten to the point where I first got in, I only knew probably five people in this group prior. Now I know everybody in the group, but I get to the point where a lot of them are referencing me and certain things like this guy knows a lot of people, this guy knows, and I've only known these people for probably two months. And what's funny is that 
I don't think of myself as someone that knows a lot of people, but then when I actually sit back and kind of look at it, I'm like, I do have a very big network of people. I know people in a lot of industries. I do have a lot of connections. The fun, the good thing about that is it obviously helps when I'm trying to problem solve because I can rely on people that I know and say, hey, listen, I got a question or, hey, how do I get this resolved fairly quick? Uh, but also it, it does help, I guess, indirectly from the business perspective is you do get a lot of referrals. And what I was talking about before, five years ago when I was testing out social media, I would be excited if somebody liked my post, like just like my post, not anything else, not engagement, just like like my post. If somebody commented, that was like a big deal. And now it's to the point where I can't keep up a lot of times with the comments. I can't keep up a lot of times with when I talk like sliding into the DMs, I've had opportunities come on Instagram. I've had opportunities come on Facebook weekly, not mm-hmm. even like, hey, once, you know, once in a while, it's like guarantee weekly, I'm going to have messages on my Facebook page, my personal Facebook page, my Instagram of people that are reaching out for something non, you know, not a group chat, dumb meme that they're sending me. Mm-hmm. It's actually like, hey, can, you know, whether it be, hey, can you come on this podcast? Whether it be, hey, I got a question on real estate, whether it be, Hey, my sister's looking to buy. I gave her your name. She should be calling you tomorrow. Awesome. Like that's the whole purpose. I literally want to go through, you know, I would love to do obviously real estate where you're not like, that's fun marketing for me. Mm -hmm. Like, like we talked about Zillow and you're still on Zillow, right? And the reason, actually I'll kind of ask you because, and I'm not against Zillow. I'm not against any type of, of type of marketing. I was asked, you know, for, being on TV, I've asked about being on radio. If I don't find the the ROI on it, and it's not even that it's bad. It's just, mm-hmm. is, is it as good as what I'm doing? Is it the best use of my dollars or time? And for both of those, the answer has been no because, and maybe not. Maybe they would make a killing, but I'm like, from the what I have to put into it, I don't think the risk is worth it because what I'm doing now on a much more fun less expensive level, I get much more satisfaction knowing someone came to me because they heard the podcast or saw social media than, oh, oh, I, I went on something on Zillow and got called, but that's not the reason why I'm off Zillow. So I want to make, so how has Zillow been good for you? Because there's, I know people love it and, and I'll tell you why I don't like it in my, where mm-hmm. we are. So just from a return on investment perspective, I did it as an experiment. I thought, well, I'll do it for a month or two, see if it pays for itself, if it gets me any more leads. Um, truth be told, it's been fantastic. Um, it has paid for itself 20 times over. I don't have a huge marketing budget. I think I spend $110 a month on certain zip codes and things of that nature. Um, it's more than paid for, and it's a write-off. So, mm-hmm. um, just especially because I was going into year two and I had such a relatively crappy year one, I wanted to get as many clients as possible and get as many deals in the pipeline as I could. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, like I said, it, it got to the point where I, between just my own network and Zillow, I was not answering Zillow phone calls anymore, which the, I guess the new system is you don't get penalized. If you don't answer, you just, you keep your place in line and you get the next call. Um, so it's the way that that operates, I guess, is different than the experienced colleagues of mine in St. Lawrence County had when they tried it a year ago. Um, but I can't speak to that. I don't know. Yeah. So Zillow, the two, the two things one is they did go to that, but what happened was if someone called you, it'd say an agent's going to pick up. Well, you would call like, well, you know, we're busy. We're running around. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to answer the phone while I'm with clients mm-hmm. or I'm in a meeting or like right now I have my phone off. So like there's certain things that 
I don't want to pay for a lead that, and then they'll say, well, we called you and you didn't pick up. It's like, yeah, because I'm actually working, you know, and I find that the ones that could utilize that, which I've seen in our industry, some people have built their business based on that, mm-hmm. but they're not doing anything. So they can pick up that call and then they can help that client. And it's great. It's a great way to get into the industry. And mm-hmm. I, I don't doubt it that way. The other problem was, I remember this was probably, this was probably three years ago now. And I remember taking a screenshot and on the right side of a page said premier agent. Mm-hmm. And I looked at all three people on that premier agent list. I think one's not in real estate anymore. Two, and at the time they had a combined maybe 15 month experience in, in real mm-hmm. estate and probably a combined four, three or four deals. And they were all on there as premier agents. And I'm looking at that and I'm like, well, one, that's bullshit because they probably have no clue what they're doing and not in a bad way they just mm-hmm. started you yeah. know and but i said I, I would not want to put that out to people that those are premier agents if they're people that are rookies that have no clue what they're doing that i've dealt with personally and don't know what they're doing which is fine they're mm-hmm. learning but you can't be put as a premier agent at that so then if you put myself like now i'd consider you out there a premier agent mm-hmm. now i consider myself here a premier agent there's other agents that i'll look up and be like yeah 100 percent, i would consider her a premier agent but the problem is it's now who pays money because what was happening if say in a month Zillow had 150 leads and you were paying whatever and they would divvy that out to the 15 premier agents, I fully understand that. That sounds like a great use. Well, what happens is now that 15 people that are paying is up to 25 people. Well, the amount of leads aren't increasing. So 150 now goes to 25. Then it was 150 now goes to 35. And I'm not saying that many people paid, but the, you know, there's probably a solid 20 people that pay for it when before it was eight to 10. Mm-hmm. So automatically, we are now. Yeah. So automatically, and you might find this in a couple of years, but mm-hmm. the, the one thing that you're doing very well is when those leads diminish, you're able to build a personal brand around you, which will never drop because what you're doing, unless you do something cr- yeah, crazy, yeah. but it's, it's stuff that you have control over. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's why me doing the podcast, me doing the merchandise, me building the social media brand presence when we have an economic downturn, which who knows if, who knows when that will happen. And always yep. the stock market always goes up and down, but I always find that we're hedging against, I'm hedging against everything by being everywhere. Mm-hmm. So for some reason, if they're like all of a sudden like, hey, Facebook's now illegal, you can't go on Facebook and you can't go on Instagram, what do I have to, to lean back on? So I haven't put all my eggs in one basket. Mm-hmm. Okay, I have a podcast, I have YouTube, I have just my brand presence from going out and networking with people. So that f- has now completely overtaken Zillow, even though I think things like that are very po- very positive in your position, mm-hmm. and, I, and I'm curious to see what you do in two, three years from now. And you might, you might not. You're like, geez, Gail, this stuff is super easy, and mm-hmm. I'm, it's crushing it. But I'm always, I'm always looking at stuff. So I'm not against Zillow. I'm just against Zillow in 2019 in our market, and that's yeah. kind of why, you know, certain things right now are working for me. We're trying the vlog out. Mm-hmm. I've had some. It started out slow. It's very. It's not super systematic or system, yeah, systematic yet in the sense that we just kind of pick when we do it. I'm mm-hmm. like, Jordan, hey, last week was like, we haven't done one. It was like Thursday. I'm like, what's your schedule tomorrow? She goes, well, I can do one tomorrow. So, okay, let's do at least the first part of the day. And um, so hopefully that gets a little bit better. And I'm seeing the increase on views. I'm seeing the increase on people liking. I'm seeing the, MP, the people saying stuff to me like, oh, am I going to be on the, the vlog today or whatever? And that's, that's kind of cool because a lot of the stuff that we get from what we do is not necessarily, you know, 
caught or, you know, in and out. Like you put money into Zillow, you see the leads that come out. I don't see a lot of this stuff. A lot of it is just the buzz I hear. And I know that increases. So when I go to events and people come up to me at events and introduce themselves to me because they know who I am mm-hmm. and I don't know who they are, that's cool. And that never happened before. Now it's to the point where I can go into certain events and people already, even if they don't come say something to me, I know much more people know who I am because of that. Mm-hmm. And when the time comes and they need to use me, they will. And that's something I think you're doing, at, you know, obviously at a, a you know, pretty fast level. Now, how has your, your Q&A videos been doing? Are those good? I haven't done those. Obviously, you came and looked at my board and you were on the board. Yeah. There's Phil. Copy Phil. Literally uh-huh. copy Phil. So uh-huh. I like when you're copying me. So yep. copy Phil. Um, so how, how has that been? It went quite well. I haven't done one, truth be told, in probably a month or two. Um, I should do another one, but it's just been a little too bananas for that. Very well, and I think it got people engaged, and it also builds a level of, uh, how do I want to phrase it? Comfort. Like You can ask me a question that you think is stupid. I'm not going to begrudge you of that. Yeah, Yeah, and and I think it's another benefit of having a younger agent, too. I just bought my first house three years ago. Mm -hmm. I have sat on the other side of the table. I know the anxiety you feel at X, Y, and Z points, and um, I have people who... You know, maybe it's a month before closing, the house is vacant, and they say, well, can you just take me through the house again? Yeah, because I was there. I remember wanting to go back in the house one more time and take measurements and think more about, you know, is it a waste of my time? Maybe, but I appreciated it when it was done for me, so I'm going to do it. So I think the the videos in particular, the, the Q&As, um, take away the intimidation factor of asking those questions. I don't consider myself an intimidating person at all, but... Sometimes you, you don't want to ask, like, what's the difference between an appraisal and an um, assessment? Mm-hmm. Certain people would feel stupid asking that, but it's actually a very, very important distinction that even sometimes people who and very, should know. Very common ask yes, question. Yeah, 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 exactly. So that's been helpful. I also did um, the star tax um, law mm-hmm. change this year. I did a little explainer on how the, uh, the law changed. That one got a lot of traction people way outside of my market were sharing that. So that was kind of cool just from a going baby viral. Yeah. 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 I mean, I obviously didn't get a million views on that, but it got some real traction and that was kind of fun. Um, maybe I helped some people who I will never meet or get business from, but hopefully I made their life a little easier by explaining that and saving them a bunch of money. So those have been fun. Um, I would like to do more of them. I don't have, a um, any professional equipment. I think I quite literally just set my phone on something and, yeah, it but worked. that's like right right now I'm I'm justifying in my head buying a f- pretty expensive setup for cameras and mics and stuff and mm-hmm. it's I can justify it a million ways mm-hmm. and it, I should I, this is the end of the day I should buy it. Yep. This is the moral dilemma of me. It's, should I do it? Meaning, should I just spend the money to do it? I know for a fact. Like one, can I afford it? Yes. Should I get it? Yes. I really don't know what's holding me back. But I think it's just the idea that it's a big amount of money to drop in one sitting. Mm-hmm. And I'm not a very, um, I'm not frugal, meaning I'm not like, I'm very generous with my money. I donate to a lot of things. I'm very, if I need to buy it, I will buy it. I'm not, you know, I don't count pennies. I'm Because I come from always like an abundance mindset. Mm-hmm. Like I'm just, I'm good. Like if I can help someone out, if I can do something, if I can, you know. And, and that is, like I said, that, that mindset or that. That, that has paid dividends mm-hmm. because I'm able to pull that off. But it's the idea that it's, I think it's just a big drop of money at one shot that I'm like, 
like it's not a you know it's it's high it's a high yeah, number yeah. and uh i've always i wrestle with that but when i started and i still do all our videos are shot on a phone mm-hmm. which the phone takes incredible videos the problem is audio is not the greatest mm-hmm. and it, it, not the greatest in certain settings and also when i can get a nicer camera that has zoom in functions obviously that takes it up a much better notch mm-hmm. so that's the kind of stuff i'm looking at versus um but yes that the phone it works incredible new iphone coming out next week is it well the 10th i think it gets released what's it called don't know yet oh it'll, oh they even like is yeah. it the 11 it'll like, uh, good question it'll yeah. be uh the information will be released on so the 10th you an iphone guy yeah a well, big time I you have and a Mac. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm the same. When I worked for the county and had to use a PC, I felt like you know the stereotypical 65-year-old woman who doesn't know how to turn on the computer. That was pretty much me. I was going nuts. I couldn't figure out how to save things. I couldn't figure out how to get my documents. Uh, Macs, I love. So so my other thing is I my phone is it's an 8 Plus, I think. Mm-hmm. So I don't really need the new one yet. I think it goes out every two years, and I think I'll only have this for a year in November. Mm-hmm. Uh, my next other big purchase which is kind of about the same amount of money as the camera setup is a new mac because that's a 13 mm-hmm. still good the problem is at the time i bought it it was phenomenal but i i didn't understand all the nuances of memory and hard drive and speed and things like that and now i'm like any add or uh, you know what i mean like the oh, want yeah. it now 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 generation is if i got to sit there and wait for something to spin and load i want to in at the other thing, at the other end of the day, I know I kind of grape about it about that point, but when I'm here and I'm like just hammering out work, mm-hmm. when I have to sit there and wait 10 seconds for things to upload, at the end of the day, that is a lot of lost productivity on my part because I can move very fast, but I'm only as good as how fast that computer can move. And I find that the processing speeds and the memory speeds, even though I have a three terabyte uh, external hard drive, mm-hmm. there's still things on that it's not moving as quick as it should. So the other thing is, basically buying the top of the line um, MacBook Pro mm-hmm. probably. That's a MacBook Air. I don't again I gotta research the difference on those two, but I think the Pro is a little higher, mm-hmm. little jump up. So I might end up, you know, dropping. But again, at the end of the day for our business Money well spent. Yeah, a hundred percent. I'll I'll get that back a thousand X probably. Yep. So um okay, so Facebook Live. Now the other thing is cause I, for you, where do you find Two questions I want to ask you is for the visualization aspect. I use this a lot in my business and I don't think I use it. I don't like use it as a point where I I focus on it, but it's something that I'm very big on my goals, what I want in my future. And it's not something that's perfectly figured out because as you go farther and farther out, then I, I use the, the visualization mindset as, there are certain things that I visualize down to being in this office, down to being at the numbers I'm at, down to accomplishing my my 10-year goal, hopefully, this is year nine, but mm-hmm. I might be able to do it this year, to what I want my, I already told you, my three-year goal is. Like, these things of visualizing, um, I think, are 100% true what happens. Um, and I want to ask you about that because you said that, like, down to the house that you're in. Mm-hmm. You visualize that. Now, maybe it wasn't super serious at the time, but it was always in the back of your mind, and now you're living in that house. So what? how has the power of visualization helped you in, in anything in life? Mm-hmm. I mean, do you, do you believe in it? Do you subscribe to that theory? Yeah, and, and I'm very specific goal-oriented. So, uh, oh, geez, as I almost yanked the thing off the table. 
Um, the house was a big thing that I'm like, I'm going to get that freaking house, whatever it takes, got the house. Um, now the, the next things in my future that I'm doing that with, I would really like to get into development. Um, so very much plan on continuing to do sales indefinitely into the future, but I really like historic restoration and I love the idea of a new development looking old. Um, we have a pretty substantial market um, for, well, market opportunity, I should say, for professional housing in my area. So Canton and Potsdam, we have the four universities, we have the hospital, which is very constantly expanding and becoming bigger and better. Uh, we've got some new manufacturing things going on. There's a lot of positive momentum, and I want to get in front of the path of progress. People are always asking me, hey, I'm looking for a place to rent but I don't want it to be an asshole. Um, I would love to build new, but look old row houses or brownstones or something like that, that have three, four five units in them, but have the historic charm in keeping with the community. I also have, um, if you're looking at the front of my house to the left, there's this big old barn. It was a horse livery stable, three stories from the river. The first story of it is beautiful masonry. I would love to build a quadplex on top of that and have commercial space in the old horse stables with the exposed stone in the basement. So those are the sorts of things that I'm saying, the reason I'm putting in a 15-hour day this week is so I'm in a position where when the time is right, I can call the bank and get the commercial loan I need to get the ball rolling on those things and build passive income streams. Um, I would love to get to the point someday where if I sold five houses and that was it, great. I've got my rent checks from the developments I built 30 years ago coming in that keep me afloat and keep me where I need to be. I don't envision myself having traditional retirement. You know, I'm not the type of person who can sit and do nothing. I go bananas. So I will probably always work in some way, shape, or form. But to have those rent checks coming from a development that I planted the seeds for in 2023 when it's 2061 that i think is important and that motivates me to continue being a crazy person no i think that's that's incredible i think we're both on kind of the same mindset as that because i've always talked to people one of my i would like to have a hand in this but again it, it's a lot of the opportunities present themselves when they should and it's not one where i force anything i just mm -hmm. i I try to do the correct things every day and the correct steps and then knowing that by doing that stuff, which is all I really have control over, that opportunities will present themselves kind of if earned, meaning if I am mm -hmm. put, put myself in the right position that that stuff will happen. There's a reason why I wanted to be in this office. Well, one of it, long story, I talked to you about Aaron and stuff, but mm -hmm. this view right here is this right here, if you had to take what is the, what is the most prime real estate in Clinton County, mm -hmm. you're looking at it. You're, I mean, you're looking at it as, as close as you can get. And there's been talks about moving that out of the area. There's been talks about, I mean, just th this whole wing right here from the marina basically up to um, the monument mm -hmm. is, I don't know how many acres. I want to say it's like, I'm probably going to have this wrong. I looked it up the other day. I don't think it's 20 acres, but it's pretty darn, it's big. Um, high teens maybe. And what I would love to see down here at some point in time and maybe have a hand in being in the process of that with other um, local business people that we've kind of been throwing around the idea is having something. Have you been to Burlington before? Mm -hmm. You know, like Church Street. Mm -hmm. 
is having a very big pedestrian area where you can walk down, potentially have a boardwalk or boardwalk going out, potentially like a, you know, a waterfront walk yep. and then have a couple places that come out pedestrian and then have stores and have little businesses and have restaurants and have shopping and have that all down here. And we have the train that comes in right here. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, this literally could be a destination for people anywhere. They could take the train down, train up from the city, whatever. Yep. And it's kind of a cute little spot, maybe a couple little spots. Like I said, maybe a, a hotel somewhere down here like mm-hmm. you have in Burlington. And I know there's been talks of doing that. Obviously, that's time. But I think time plays a factor in everything, and that will happen. What's cool is I'm hoping to have this office here. And I would love to have this office for 40 years because mm-hmm. I think – now, granted, I say that, I don't know, maybe one of the spots will be a new development on the water and I move into that spot. But at the, the same idea is that I'm already letting my mind wander to that kind of stuff. And I don't know if that, I know, one of my things is I know it will happen. I don't know when, I don't know how, mm-hmm. I don't know who's going to be involved, but I do know at some point that will happen. I don't know exactly what it'll look like, but yep. it, it'd just be one where, you know, putting that thought process in now in 2019, and maybe that doesn't come to fruition until 2039, but 20 years from now, I look at it, I'll be turning 50. I'll mm-hmm. still be feeling young probably at that time. And it'll be cool to have another hopefully 50 years of enjoying that with now my you know, this, my kids and their families and generations mm-hmm. after. So you know, that kind of thing I think is number one, you have to have it. What is it? Think and Grow Rich. Have you ever read that book? Mm-hmm. Napoleon Hill? Oh, it's just, it's just basically it's – I think if your mind can believe it, in visual whatever there's some like term you use mm-hmm. it's more better manifestation term that I'm or something like yeah, that yeah it's basically if you can believe it and you can think about it and have it in your mind and you can believe that you can do it you can do it kind mm-hmm. of deal and I think that's a lot of it so you just put put it in your mind and put it in kind of like the forefront of your brain that this is going to happen that it eventually will and I know like other stuff that you've you know will want to do in time as you mm-hmm. get older and more into the industry the good thing about real estate it's a very it's a very diverse industry but it allows a lot of opportunity and there's absolutely no ceiling in real estate it's literally how big and how much you want to work at it mm-hmm. um so the next thing i want because because kind of backing up to what you said is i'm always curious and i would love to do a podcast around this topic too what is a normal and i say this kind of you know tongue-in-cheek what's a normal day in the life of you meaning i know i'm in real estate but what does your perfect day look like? And then what's more of like the 80% day look like that we know is not ever perfect? Mm-hmm. I kind of joked about it. You were here at, I got here at 9.10. Well, because I woke up at 8.40, my alarm was set at 6. And there's days, most days if I go to the gym, now I can't, I've been really bad at that the last couple of weeks just because of real estate being chaotic in, mm-hmm. in life. But I usually wake up at 5 and do the whole gym thing, and I'm in the office by seven. Well, long story short, my overslept my alarm, or my alarm went off, or didn't, whatever. I woke up at 8.40, I was here at 8, 9.08, I think it was, and mm-hmm. you were here. So, today has not been, and then obviously we set this yesterday, the podcast, mm-hmm. so like you can see, see how things have kind of changed, but I like that chaotic, ever-changing aspect, but for you, what's a perfect day? And then give us like, what's a, what's a more realistic day and, and you can kind of say like this might happen this between like this time and this time it might be this or that kind of deal. So perfect day, uh, I get up, I go to the garden, I pick the tomatoes, I let the chickens out, I watch the chickens eat breakfast, listen to the rooster, look out on the grass river out back, 
go inside, make an omelet with eggs I just picked, go to an antique auction at Blanchard's in Potsdam, spend a lot of money on some great historic pieces, come home, make Nick carry those expensive new pieces into the house, much to his chagrin, um, cook a great meal. I love to cook for people, have friends there, go up, have dinner on the cupola, you know, maybe have a, a home inspection in the evening or a showing or two. That would be just perfect. A little bit of fun, a little bit of fun work in the garden, and then a little bit of work. So I feel productive. I got all my, because the garden for me is like my church. I am so at peace there. That is my happy place. And then a real day would be wake up, go out, let the chickens out. And what time do you wake? Um, I wake up usually about five, but I will go back to bed, sit there on my phone, answering texts, emails, sometimes until about six. But it's changing now that it's getting darker earlier and the sun isn't coming up as early. So I will gradually spend more time in bed as the day condenses. I'm a grandpa. When the sun goes down, I'm tired. Um, so then, um, the summer in particular, it's been like, um, appraisal at eight o'clock in the morning, home inspection at 10, those last two hours, maybe grab lunch on my way to the next home inspection, showings for three or four hours, go back to the office, do offers, do, uh, paperwork, um, come home, schedule stuff for the next day or the next week, look at the pile of dishes in the sink that I can't get to right now, go to bed, repeat, um, it's been crazy, but it's, like I said before, it's different every day. It's a rush, um, that, uh, that full range of emotions. And one of the things that I find the most exciting, but also the most frustrating is how much of our job is personality management. Mm -hmm. I, I'm, you know, different people in every market, but, um, there are clients who are easy. There are clients who are hard. There's everything in between. There are realtors who, when I get to work with them, I'm excited. They're awesome. You know, great communication, patient, um, open-minded, flexible, wonderful. And then there are ones who will do everything in their power to make you feel little and to make this a very challenging transaction. So how you manage your relationships with those people and how you interact to achieve your goals and your clients' goals, that is so much, I think, of what we do on a daily basis. Um, I, there could be a dissertation dissertation written about uh, realtors and the uh, personality dynamics because there's a whole gamut in our market. I always say that the best part of our job is the people we meet, uh -huh. and the worst part of the job is the people that we meet. Yeah. And, and it's uh, and it's the two extremes. And I find it's always more good than bad. Mm -hmm. Always, um, the bad sometimes dwells on you more than the good. Even though I've Luckily, with how busy I've been able to keep myself, that mm -hmm. the bad or the things that you would normally dwell on happen for about five to ten seconds, and I and I legitimately mean five to ten seconds because then I'm on to the next thing, mm -hmm. and it might just be like, hey, we're going with another agent to list our home. Okay, cool, thanks, and then I'm just like, okay, out, and then on to my next, mm -hmm. keep going. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I always tell people too, I have a degree from Plattsburgh State in global supply chain management. To mouthful, it sounds really important. It probably is. I don't know. I never went into it. But I think I have a double major in human psychology. And it's been almost a decade of just dealing with people every day, managing expectations, managing emotions, managing personalities. Mm -hmm. And the people that call you nonstop, 
the people that you say, hey, listen, I don't have an update yet, but they're calling nonstop. And I'm like, listen, it's an eight week period to get you closed. Like, if you're lucky. And we're, yeah. And we're calling you, we're updating you weekly. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't need, no offense, we don't need to hear from you almost every day asking questions because trust us, everything will get done around that time. If you, and people usually get in their own way. The mm-hmm. ones that over communicate sometimes are the hardest deals because they get in their way and they drag it out, where the people I never hear from, Super easy. You were great. Everything was good. I'm like, thanks. Just let us do our job and we'll mm-hmm, get you. Trust, mm-hmm. trust us. We'll get you there. Um, so what do you do? Because the, the expectation part, 100%. So there's a couple things that my day differs with yours and I'm, I'll ask you about them in a sec. What do you do in between all those major events? Like to me, this is like a major event. Me going to a showing, me going to a listing, me going to a closing. Those are major kind of events set in my calendar. What do you do in between all those events? Obviously, you're driving, so you're on the podcast. You know, when are you responding to messages? When are you calling, calling people? When are you, you know, network or networking but prospecting? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a triage system. Um, if I'm, you know, let's say doing a, a, I call them a showing marathon of ten houses. They're all roughly in the same spot. I don't have time between those showings to answer the messages or to return the phone calls unless it's something like if I just glance at my phone, I see, okay, this one's super important. I'm going to make this phone call between these showings and I know it'll be lickety split. Um, But then there are those ones where it's just somebody looking for an update. The same person who asked yesterday, they can wait two hours to get a reply or they can wait until tonight when I get home from the next showing marathon. Um, So it, it's a triage system, which everyone's need immediate attention I try to make sure that they get immediate attention. The ones that can wait a little bit, they can wait. But it's also setting expectations in the beginning, which I think I'm getting better at, saying I will never leave you hanging for more than 24 hours. There is no circumstance at which, you know, I could be camping in the Adirondacks. I'm going to go to the top of the mountain and answer my messages once a day. It's going to happen. I think I'd also go crazy if I didn't have access to that. Um, but the one that I'm, I, I still struggle with, and I don't know if I need to get it tattooed on my forehead, that banks and lawyers do not work for me. There's nothing in my I like power. That. I like, like that. I, truly, at the very end, when, when I have to say, we have no update, the abstract is not in, and then three days later when they call, we have no update, the abstract is still not in, and they say, well, we, you know, what can we do about that? Nothing. We need to be patient. You know, I try to tell them in the very beginning, 60 days is our goal. 75 is more likely. If it happens that we close early, I don't want the credit for it, but I don't want the blame if the attorneys take three weeks in the end because you went with the attorney I told you moved slower than molasses in January. Um, and there are things, you know, working a lot with Matt, we're starting to talk about, you know, maybe working on a deal with the attorney. We'll pay for title up front if something happens. You'll still get your money, but start working on it as soon as possible. Don't wait until mortgage commitment comes in because I don't know how it is here, but 95% of them will not lift a finger until they have that mortgage commitment letter, and it might not be a week until they actually get to start after they get that. So there are things that you know I'm trying to be innovative with that we can speed the process up a little bit, but that seems to be the hardest one to really nail in to the buyers is, and the sellers, frankly. They do not work for me. They work at a very common speed. They have variables that they need to wait for. You know, the abstract, sometimes it needs to be totally redone. Sometimes it just needs an update. We can't control that. So if you figure out a good system, let Mm -hmm. me know. Because Mm -hmm. we're in the same boat. And 
the worst thing for every there's no reason why deals in our area should take four or should not four um I was going to say four weeks. Should, yeah, they're not, not taking eight to ten weeks to get done. Mm-hmm. They should take no longer, I think, than four to six weeks. Mm-hmm. Six weeks being like something was kind of like there's a hiccup in an inspection or something like mm-hmm. that. We, um, at least from the listing perspective, I have, list, I have clients sign a sheet that says I give my – or I authorize my attorney to order title or do the title update or whatever you got to do from moment one Mm -hmm. and I'm willing to pay for it. So what happens is, because I always talk to the sellers and I have at least one attorney that I know that does it, Mm -hmm. is that if they don't sell to this buyer, they're still got to sell. They still need it. So Mm -hmm. it's not like you do it and you got to restart the whole, it's not like an appraisal. So the idea that if they can go on and they can order it Mm -hmm. and they can order it. And I usually say order after the home inspection because, as you know, a re- if a deal falls apart 90% of the time, it's due to inspection issues or inspection, we didn't come to terms on something. So to me, once the inspection's done, you're pretty much in the clear that you're going to get this deal done somehow. Mm-hmm. Obviously, yes, there can be some kind of weird thing that pops up in the end, but it's the big minority in that sense. So mm-hmm. to me, having attorneys do it. Now, the problem is... On our contracts, it states when they have to do it. The attorneys approve the contract. None of them listen to it. Then you'll give them this this authorization from the seller, Mm -hmm. and a lot of times they still don't do it. And it's like the problem is they don't follow their own rules. I've had this conversation with many people. I've I've had one lender that I know that's even gone to the point where they said they might even hire their own attorney in house just to do it to the point where we're going to put you on retainer or hire you as a staff person within mm-hmm. our company and you're going to do every one of our closings and you're going to be our total bank attorney and we know we have 100% access to you and we're able to do this all in one shot. Mm-hmm. So that to me is kind of one of the the things that we're always working on and when you say I have it on the board up there is how do we increase the communication for our or to our clients or you know, just in the gen- in general, we're working on some stuff right now in regards to master checklists and waterfall kind mm-hmm. of checklists and how do we be proactive with communication and set the expectation up front. And there's some people we tell, you know, hey, we're going to, we'll have the appraisal back in roughly 10 days, 10 mm-hmm. business days. Well, a week from now, they still reach out and say, hey, you know, do we have, and I'm like, guys, remember when we said 10 days, it's still kind of the same thing. And I know people are antsy and they're yeah. dealing with moving, and we try to be sympathetic to that. And but we're trying to set the expectation up front. But that's always, always, always going to be the detriment. The problem is, as I've gotten, you know, as I put a bunch of deals under the contract, which is great. Mm-hmm. With, but at the same t- time, when I'm dealing with a lot of deals under contract, and I don't want to be, you know, and say to one of you, it's like, well. You're one of a few that I'm, or you're one of many that I'm dealing with. I have to treat it as their own, like, you know, yes, I, I, I'm trying to get back to you. Luckily, yeah. Nicole does our closing. So, mm-hmm. Nicole, I can get back to you, but when I'm running around doing a bunch of stuff, Nicole is able to get back to you within, you know, sometimes minutes, but usually within an hour mm-hmm. or two. Where me, it could be, hey, you message me at 9 a.m. I may not get back to you till 5 or 6 p.m., not because I don't want to, but because I have a million other things going on, and that's when I have time set aside to return that message or return that call. And you always get the, could be the, and it really is a kicker to me when the agents will call you two, three times and text you, and it's like, 
listen, you're under the same, you're in the same category as us. You realize we have stuff going on and, and there's certain agents that I'm, I know we're busy. I know mm-hmm. they're very active and I will send a message to them and I expect to get an answer back. Could be five, six, seven hours later and that's fine. It, nothing's oh, going to be, there's nothing that really needs to be done on a very fast factor unless it might be something with a closing that day where you, okay, okay, we got to get back to this person ASAP because. Yep. And we, that's the triage. Have, yeah, exactly. And there's certain things that can get pushed down and a lot of it is people think their problem is huge where at the end of the day it's like, Again, a lot of it when it comes down to the closing is banks and attorneys, and you can say as much as you want to me, and we can reach out to them as much times as you want. I'm only as good as how fast they're going to work, mm-hmm. and unfortunately, that is – I like that quote. I'm going to start using that quote, and I'll just be like, quote, Philip Page, <laughs> banks and lawyers do not work for me. Um, so, okay, so we talked about um, with all this and with you – Actually, before I get to that next one, this is the thing with you. There's a lot of stuff because we're like speaking the same language here. So Mm -hmm. there's a lot of things I want to go down. But do you go to all your inspections and all your appraisals? Is that a... Well, no. The appraisals, I only go to the houses I have listed with a few exceptions. Like there was one recently where the the listing agent couldn't be there. So I volunteered to go. I had an opening. But inspections, yes, I go to every inspection the ones that last an hour and 15 minutes, the ones that last three hours. I'm there for the whole rodeo. Um, appraisals, only the ones I have listed with that asterisk. So when you go to, is it required for you to go to all those, like legally? Or is that just, is that like something that, is that just an expectation that's been set within your area that you're to do those? I believe so. Um, do you, what do you do at the appraisal or at the home inspection? Depends on, so I have to be, you choose my words carefully. The home inspector I work with most frequently prefers when the client is present so that he can point out things like, oh, I see um, you need a junction box here or, oh, look at the dry rot in this beam. He likes to be able to physically have them there to see the things and then to be able to um, suggest a remedy. Um, there are other home inspectors I've worked with who will say, you've got dry rot on this beam. I wouldn't buy this house. He is much better at saying, this is a problem. Here's how you can solve it. It'll cost you roughly this amount. Mm -hmm. So he has a background in contracting. He's very good with bedside manner and he likes the people there to explain it. This is the one you work with a lot. Yes. And I go to all of those. And depending on the client, if it's a client who is relatively self-sufficient, they may go with the inspector or they may, you know, I can tell them don't come into the last hour um, and then I can get some work done. If I have somebody who needs my attention, you know, whether it be just questions or just they're sitting there awkwardly, I don't want to, you know, just be on my laptop doing my work. I try to engage with them. The challenge is predicting that. So I can say to myself, well, I should have two hours today of time to send off disclosures to this person or do that for this person. But it might not actually happen that way. It might be that I need to divert my attention to that person. Hard to predict. So if you're at an inspection for, say, roughly three hours, mm-hmm. are you able for two hours to sit down at your computer, like log into like Wi-Fi or something and mm-hmm. do work? I use my hotspot all the time on my phone. Um, yeah, most of the time. I would say a three-hour inspection is very rare. I've only had one that's gone that long. Okay. Most are two, two and a half if they go long. And I would say 50 to 60% of those I can get work done. 40% 
I have to babysit. Because the client's there walking around. Um, So the... So I don't know if our industry, like our area is different because I don't, I don't think it's legal, like legally a thing. Mm-hmm. I think it's probably an expectation mm-hmm. in nine years. I've never gone to an appraisal and in nine years I've gone to one inspection because the seller wanted me to go and I was young at the time and I knew the person personally, like before I was ever in real estate. Mm-hmm. So I did it more as being nice where, so I don't go to either of them, mm-hmm. and usually what I tell what I tell the client is don't go to the full inspection because most most inspectors around here do not want that. Mm-hmm. I do tell them, and I, I encourage this: is you're paying for the home inspection, go meet with the inspector at the end, let mm-hmm. him do his thing, go through because to be my my thing is inspections around here take easily two to three hours. Mm-hmm. You don't have to go watch him check everything and say, okay, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. He's going to sit there and mark the bad things, and you're going to go, and he's going to be able to, I mean, it's, the house is, you know, 1,500 square feet to 3,000, like mm-hmm. roughly. You're going to, he can walk to the other side in 30 seconds, if that, 10 seconds. So he can go over and say, okay, here, here's this room, here's the things I had questions on, and the same thing. It's, it's, they're there to find major issues, not to nitpick all the little things. So you go through and say, these are the things that we, find problems and then what happens is the client I get a copy of the report the client gets a copy of the report I reach out to the client because there's no pass fail in home inspection it's mm-hmm. the client's I always say it's the buyer's expectation so okay you guys saw the report anything you have issues on are we good and they'll say well these are the things we have issues on okay what what problems are they okay you're at the report um can you just email me the page and number of the issue. And then I draft up something. And at the end of the day, if there, if I have something I really have to ask questions on, I've seen hundreds of reports. So mm-hmm. I kind of, and I, most of them are from the same guys, so I can figure out what they need. The reason I don't go to an inspection is because it's two to three hours, not counting drive time. The appraisal, the thing is very rarely the home inspector is going to write down as a black or white. Mm-hmm. I've always looked at it. Me standing at the home, with the home inspector, is it going to matter? I'm not going to change it. Yes, can I get clarification on it? Sure. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. It's, it's purely on the buyer. So for me, if the buyer goes to the home inspection and says, that's a problem, well, then we have to address it. It could be something where I'm like, ah, they probably should ask for that. But they're like, no, nah, it's fine. But okay, cool. It's fine. What's the mm-hmm. other? Like, so there's times that I don't want to predict I, basically, I don't want to put the cart before the horse kind of thing. I just yep. will let the inspection happen. We'll ask them. We have five days to come up with something, so it doesn't have to be done that that mm-hmm. time. Typically, it's, hey, wait till the report comes back tomorrow. We'll we'll both look at it. We'll review it. Is there anything that we need to check on or a little more research? Do I have to call somebody to get some clarification? Do I have to just call the inspector and say, mm-hmm. hey, what did you mean by this? Yep. And most of them, are, they're like, oh, yeah, well, this, and they answer the question. So my my thing is, if I had to go to every home inspection and every appraisal, the amount of productivity I would be able to do goes down significantly because what, one of the things I find for those two to three hours, I want to be in the office prospecting. I want to mm-hmm. be calling clients. I want to be calling past clients. I want to be calling anything. I want to be doing this stuff. Mm-hmm. I want to be doing marketing things. I want to be going on more showings to generate more business. To me, the house is already under contract. Yes, you have to get it from point A to point B, which is the closing. But I trust the home inspector. I trust the appraiser. And then I know that we can find the um, 
the resolution, like if I go, is it going to make a difference? I think if anything, a slight difference, but I don't think it's big enough where it warrants me being away from my office working for three hours to Mm -hmm. do it. Um, so that's one of the things like I would encourage you not to go to those things, but I don't know what the expectation or is it the expectation of your brokerage that you have to go to those? I think it's broad. Um, so the one time, uh, I had somebody who needed to go drop off a radon, um, Mm -hmm. test, I had to ask permission for the home inspector to go alone. The, and yeah. that's very, I've, I think all agents in our market go. So it's just maybe a culture or tradition difference. Yeah. Um, it, it, it could be. I mean, I can't think of anybody who, in my experience, doesn't go. Yeah, that's, and I don't know other agents around here, if mm-hmm. they go or not. I know some agents do. I know some agents go to the appraisal. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. So and do they call for keys and let yeah. them sell? Oh, yeah. wow. The, the, the appraiser goes through our MLS and requests a showing, mm-hmm. and, like requests a showing for the appraisal. The home inspector does the same or they'll call me or text me. And to be honest, they don't even call me. They, I mean, now we've, we've set the precedence. They call Nicole. Yep. And that's the other thing. That I, you know, like I said, in time, and this will come either with if your brokerage doesn't already have it or if you mm-hmm. do it personally, is Nicole does all my closings. So mm-hmm. she does the addendum. She does the document. She sets up the inspections and appraisals because you know how time consuming that and tedious that stuff is. Realistically, I don't have to do that. Um, I was supposed to do it before you got here. I didn't. I have two listings to put on today. And mm-hmm. when I say put listings on, literally it's me f- just making sure like the paperwork is semi-filled out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I say semi-filled out, and then me putting in the remarks, meaning what I want said, and then I basically f- email her that, email her the photos, I, I edit the photos, mm-hmm. and I send it to her, and then I send her all the documents, and I scan them all to her, and I say, okay, put them, put them on. So for me, a lot of it is I try to delegate a lot of stuff, and that's mm-hmm. the way we've set up the office structure is that I'm not an administrative or staff person. I, mm-hmm. c- I can do it. I just... She's much better at it. Her attention to detail. I have a fairly good attention to detail, but mm-hmm. when I'm running a thousand different directions every day, some things will slip through the cracks and it could be a minor thing. Well, guess what? Mm-hmm. The client or another agent is going to pick up on a minor detail. So I let her do that. And same thing with inspections and appraisals. Appraising, I basically am delegating the professional in that field to go do their job. And then, so... I like that. I just something... I, I don't. And, and again, it's not to... Because I know there's like... There's expectations in your market, but I mm-hmm. think over time, what happens is all of a sudden, well, Philip doesn't go to the appraisal or Philip doesn't go to the inspection, and then they're going to say, well, why do you have to go? And look, I don't have to go. It's an expectation, but I'm setting the expectation that I do not go because mm-hmm. you're not going to change the result of the appraisal. Could you maybe sweet talk the appraiser? Potentially, but I trust that they're ethical enough that they're going to do their yep. job. Same thing with home inspector. And a lot of it is... I don't want to babysit other people in the profession. I don't babysit anybody else. There are agents around here that do do that. Mm -hmm. And I just look at it as at the end of the day, it's a waste of my, because I think about my time as being my most valuable asset, especially now with running the company, doing real estate and having a family. I look at, like you said, the the triage model of what needs my attention. And my attention is dealing with, is helping clients secure a home, Mm -hmm. meaning getting under contract at that point. And then yes, negotiating if we have to through certain aspects. But at the end of the day, my job is to secure because I'm very good at negotiating and getting that stuff done. Mm -hmm. And all the other stuff, she's better at it. Nicole's better at it. The inspector, they're inspector for a reason. I'm not a home inspector. I'm not going to go, my knowledge of, of 
that kind of thing is is only as good as me reading hundreds of reports but mm-hmm. i'm not i don't know all the codes that they're going to go look at so for you that's I think from getting a lot of time back and also expanding your business and I think that's easily that's like a first thing that goes up when I hear a day because like I sit here and I prospect a lot I'm on the phones a lot with clients and future mm-hmm. clients and um, so I don't know something to think about I mean I don't know what if it's something you can easily do obviously I think it might take time but I think it's just over time if you're just like you know what that's, that's right I don't have to go sit at a home inspection for three hours I would much rather and to be honest, if you don't want to put more work in, it's three hours more in your garden. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? I just I just look at it. It's more, I have better things to do than sit at a house and watch someone, a professional, do their job. Mm-hmm. Be like me going to watch my, my accountant do my numbers for my taxes and make sure they don't screw up. Well, I'm yep. paying them because they know what they're doing, not to screw up, you know? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I don't, so how do you find balance in life? I mean, this is something that people always ask me, and I have an answer for it, but I want to hear what you say. I don't. Okay. <laughs> That, that is just a straight and narrow. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not to that point yet, uh, but I think tips like that and just knowing that, well, A, it's not a legal requirement that you go, but B, that's not the way other people do it either. I guess maybe I just assumed that's how And it, it could be because you're new that, and, and there's certain things that I've done or did, and then as I've gotten older and realized like that's really not required, and the only mm-hmm. reason I'm doing it is because everybody's done it and they're just stuck in their ways from 20, 30 years, mm-hmm. okay, I'm not going to do that anymore. And then what happens? Slowly, the industry starts changing, which I'm starting. I'm starting to see that things that I'm doing are slowly making a dent, where they're moving mm-hmm. the needle forward in certain aspects of real estate. But that, yeah, that's just something I don't do because at the end of the day, I only have like I still work 14-hour days, not including that. Yeah. And but it's allowed me to be productive in a lot of things because I, at the end of the day. I want to be able to control the things that I know I have control over or can affect. Mm-hmm. That stuff I don't believe is one of them. And if I have any effect on it, it's such a minimal amount that it doesn't require me taking two hours to make that maybe little kind of like needle forward movement. Yep. So I'd rather sit here and make bigger movements mm-hmm. to grow. Um, yeah, like yeah, the balance, I, I think my balance shifted where I've, I've taken on so much work that I really have to be... Um, I have to be aware of what time I'm devoting to certain aspects and also my family. Mm-hmm. Like the last two days, I my wife was out of town. I watched the kids and I had a blast. I, I did not do anything work-related. When they were, yes, when they were sleeping or napping, mm-hmm. was there a couple things that I would answer back here and there? Yes, but I had no appointments. I did not make any outbound calls. It was anything that I kind of had to respond to. Yep. And it was great. And it was a good like recharging um, and it was fun. And then now, I mean, I had I wanted to be here by 6.37 this morning. Obviously, that didn't happen. But um, it's the idea that <clears throat> my day till about 8 o'clock tonight is already booked up with stuff. Mm-hmm. Now, it changed a little bit because you were in town and obviously you don't come here often. So that was something I purposely took mm-hmm. out of my day to do this. And we're going to go um, have lunch later with Matt. And but to me, that's... I have the freedom to do that and some stuff I won't get to today, but it's not, I will get through the major things. I'll get those listings up, Mm -hmm. but maybe I won't make a few calls that calls that I meant to make today. I can, I'll make them tomorrow or when or Thursday because they're more proactive Mm -hmm. of me going out and doing that. Um, the next thing I wanted to ask you about is your house. We want to go back to your house and the idea that you're pretty much a, 
Do you have a background in, in construction? Are you just Mr. Like YouTube, Google, and Mr. DIY or DIY? I'm I always Mr. say DIY. DIY. I'm Mr. Write a check. Um, oh, are you? Yeah. I thought you did most of the work yourself. No, 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 no. Um, checks. The okay, so I'm close to you. So <laughs> yeah. keep going. The um, the house needed a tremendous amount of work uh, when I bought it in January 17th of 2017. The um, Project number one for us was the uh, the kitchen and bathroom. Um, essentially, we gutted a third of the house, which was plaster and lath. It was what they call accordion lath. So early 1800s, like 1820s, 1830s. And the construction style of, of my house, if you're looking at it from the road, there's the big tower, and then there's what you would think of as like the main house. The main house first story is built out of logs that were recycled from the original log cabin that sat on the footprint of where the tower is now. So they just took the logs, and if you can think back to elementary school when you were told how to fold the paper, we had Hamburg style and we had hot dog style. So they sawed these logs hot dog style and then stacked them at the base and essentially made a stockade. And that is the exterior wall of my house with a notch at the top that the beam rests in. So there was no... um, studs no joists really it's just like sitting on logs with the bark still on in many cases not all cases Um, so when we had it gutted which we did do um, totally on our own well i shouldn't say almost totally on our own and we just finished that demo this last weekend two years later um, the the contractor had never even seen that construction style so we had to have all new walls framed out Some of the most important beams in the house had been destroyed by a previous construction project where they added a second story to the house. So they added a shit ton of weight. I hope this is not explicit. It is. Oh, no, I was going to say the the podcast is. You can say whatever you want. Yeah, so we added a shit ton of weight, and the problem was, well, we didn't. They did 100 years ago when they put the second story on. They cut through beams, big structural beams, and just left them hanging. So the center section of the house has a sag to it, which we have jacked up and put new laminated beams, which cost a small fortune. So we turned the kitchen from a small galley kitchen into the footprint of what was the kitchen and the dining room, much more open concept. And then we turned one of the five bedrooms upstairs into a bathroom and a laundry room. So that was big project number one. And now it's just been like small project here, small project there. Um, But it's going to be a labor of love for many decades to come. Um, how, what's the footprint, like square footage? Mm, it was listed as 2,800, but I think it's more than that. Yeah. Um, do you have basement? I'm assuming just the old stone. Yep. Uh, field stone basement, but it's all been stuccoed, um, in the base. We actually were quite lucky. We're on a hill, dry basement. Structurally, the basement is one of the few, th- knock on wood, one of the few things in the house that is in good standing. So can you put storage down there? Yeah. If, if you wanted to, I, w- I would put pallets just out of an abundance of caution, but um, we also have carriage house and a barn and an attic. So there's there's never been a need to really store much down there. Um, when So we have two nuts dogs. When somebody comes over, we put the dogs in the basement, which you'd think is a punishment, but they love it down there. And it's nice and cool. They lay on their bellies. Sometimes we have to call them to come up once they've been down there. So that's like the dog's domain. Um, but yeah, it's, it's probably closer to 3,000 square feet. Um, and that's not including the seasonal spaces. Like we have the open cupola porch thing up on the third story. Um, but, uh, we, it came with three tenths of an acre 
weird triangle. We bought the barn in an additional 0.7, so we now have a full acre on the river. So that was another project buying that. Oh, so it's only an acre. Yep. Oh, I always thought it was like a lot larger property. Not yep. not like super large, but I always mm-hmm. thought it was a few acres. But yep. you are right in town, right? Yep. So you're right on. Is it the main street of? Are you in? This is Wadding or Madrid. Madrid. Yep. yep. So the Main Street and Elm Street are kind of contiguous. We're on the Elm Street section, and we are. And why this is the case, I can't fathom. We have this great waterfront in town, but we're the only parcel that has easy access to the water in all of the town in the hamlet anyway because we don't have a village um so we're pretty spoiled to have an epic backyard so uh, i mean have you gotten a lot of people coming up to you or or seeing you in passing and just like commending you on the job you've done at the house i'm sure because if you're taking something that was it's probably at the end of that back in the day it was probably the top house in the the area yeah and basically kind of hopefully in, in time remodeling mm-hmm. it to its old self yeah and we've done a ton i mean we installed um picket fencing we stained the fencing we've built gardens we've you know the amount of cosmetic stuff has been huge there's still tons more to do but yeah it um it's one of those houses that i could be a half hour away and when i say well are you familiar with madrid and they say yeah i'm like i live in the house with a tower they know my house it's pretty recognizable um so you you haven't been doing a lot of like little projects yourself at the house like inside the house it's mostly you hire out yeah um if it's painting, I can do that. If it's um, hanging frames, I can do that. But yeah. anything electrical, anything plumbing. Yeah, you're, you're kind of like me. Like last, over the week, so my one of my projects, I had like a to-do list that mm-hmm. I actually made good progress on for the fact that I was doing this while I was watching two young kids. So mm-hmm. um, one of the things I wanted to do was install a handrail going down to the basement. And I'm like, it won't be that hard because... Home inspector approved. Yeah, well, th- yeah, exactly. So I'm like, well, it won't be that hard. So I'm, I had everything. I spent the past few days leading up to this, you know, uh, basically doing kind of like a light polyurethane mm-hmm. on it and sanding it and redoing it. So now it's to the point where I like it. And that took probably two days worth of all that. So then I get down there and long story short, putting in a stair, um, just a handrail, is more complicated than you think. Oh, I'm sure. That's and, why I wouldn't do it. <laughs> and I was looking at it. I was working on it. I probably only worked on it a little over an hour last night. So I was like trying to find studs. Mm-hmm. Well, I have a stud finder. I'm not very well versed in construction. I have an actual stud finder and I have one my father-in-law gave me with like this little magnet that's been all taped around. Mm-hmm. And basically it's kind of this thing that's on its last leg. And then I have a handy, like one I bought last year that's all lasered and stuff. Well, the laser one, it like... I always I like f- do it five times to make sure it's there because it always seems like it will go off randomly, and then I'll use the magnet, which the magnet's supposed to be getting in like the screws and mm-hmm. kind of finding those. Well, it's not finding anything, so like then I kind of like am checking it. Then all of a sudden I'll go over, and most of them, you know, I I think it's sixteen, right? Mm-hmm. It, roughly the beams are apart, so some of them follow that. Then all of a sudden I found one that's like eight, and then one was like like twenty, and I'm like, mm-hmm. wait, why? And it's, it, the house was built in 1990, so it's not that old. So I'm going down through, and I'm finding all of them. So eventually, I got to the point where I'm like, I guarantee you, I know where the studs are. I'm doing the tapping. I'm doing everything. Mm-hmm. So I, f- I found roughly where the studs will be. So then it's finding, you have this banister that has like indents underneath the wood where you would think that the the actual um, brackets would go. Well, come to find out, those are a certain distance apart. So then I'm thinking, well, there's obviously those were cut in because they probably were a universal kind of distance. Mm-hmm. 
with what a normal pitch of a staircase would be. But it, it doesn't make any sense. So then I'm like, well, should the brackets be closer? or Because where I'm having it's too far apart. And I'm looking at this thing, and then I'm trying to go up, and I'm watching YouTube videos. And one guy is like, well, just do a chalk line, which makes sense. I don't have a chalk line. And, and he goes, use baby powder, obviously, because the walls – the other mm-hmm. thing is the wall is finished. Mm-hmm. So I'm doing this on a finished painted wall, so I don't want to be drilling holes in. And then that leads to yeah. more more problems. And then I'm sitting there, and I'm like, well, now do I have to cut the end pieces? And then half the videos I looked at, you switch the end pieces to go back into the wall to make like a corner bracket. I'm like, well, mm-hmm. do I want to be that high tech? It's going down to the basement. Yep. So I basically bagged it last night. Everything's still out. So I might end up having someone come over with a little more knowledge and just helping them out so they can teach me. But the stair pitch thing is there's a lot of math involved. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of angles and all of it was a little... I was following along enough, but I know myself where it's, there's probably always one or two steps that I'm not considering that I'm just going to drill and do it and then have to redo it. So I'm like, I'm going to wait till somebody that's done it before can come help me. So that was one of the main projects I, I did not get done because I really underestimated what was involved in putting a handrail up correctly, mm-hmm. putting a handrail up. And that's one of those things, kind of like the home inspection topic. A professional could come in and do that in a half an hour. Yeah. And it's money well spent. It, you know, you think of all the time you spent. I mean, you, you could do the polyurethane and things of that nature, but like you say, there's a lot of math that goes into it. So, well, well part of it is I just want to become more handy, and mm-hmm. I've I bought more tools, so I'm now I, I'm getting. I have a wood shop in my basement, like mm-hmm. one part of the basement, so I'm slowly like accumulating tools and accumulating stuff because I I would like to do little things like that, not for the fact that I, I yes, could I just pay someone 100, mm-hmm. percent but. I want to do it from the fact that I can do it and have the satisfaction knowing because for me it's kind of like you in the garden. Mm-hmm. It's it's that mindless. I mean, you're still thinking with math, but I can put on a podcast. I can just sit there and I can just work. I don't have to talk to people. Mm-hmm. And as much as I love talking to people, there's times where I just like my alone time. Yep. And to me, those little projects. Last weekend, I put I redid the mailbox. Mm-hmm. I put in a whole new mailbox, which involved some math and a little bit not crazy, but it involved you know some thinking mm-hmm. and. I had such a blast doing that, and it's just little projects that take you an hour, an hour and a half that I can just go do, and then say, look, that's that, the one thing I did today was I accomplished this, which is kind of, to me, is like a satisfaction of I was able to go from nothing to something yep. with my own, my own effort, and mm-hmm. a lot of it is just more of the principle of me getting it done by myself than hiring someone out, so, but this one, as my wife said, I don't want to deter you or, or you know, but why don't we ask somebody? And I, I'm like, yeah, I should because I just don't feel com- comfortable. I, I know how to, you know, I know how to do all, I know how to do everything. I just want to make sure the math's correct mm-hmm. and I'm doing it in the correct order so I don't screw it up because the railing also was not cheap. So I don't want to, yeah. I don't want to go run and get a new railing and have to do the polyurethane. So I'd mm-hmm. rather make sure everything is done. Um, cool. And I, I don't, I, we, we've hit on a lot of stuff. The problem is I, I write notes down. Mm-hmm. I write down a bunch of notes that kind of keep me on on what I want to talk about. But there's about a million things that we could deep dive into. Mm-hmm. And I think I was just checking my time. It's getting close to lunch. <laughs> so anything else you want to talk about or anything that you want to... Actually, the other cool thing, I have it on, on the board over there. This might happen in the future. You might come back as a, a remote guest of the show because I've, I've, this is where I tinker around because a lot mm-hmm. of the stuff that I do 
is I'm very big on just doing stuff, not like overthinking. So Jordan actually kind of helped me. And Jordan was the girl that just walked in. So, oh, I know from Instagram. That's why I was like, oh, oh she's you're, famous. Yeah, you kind I, of already know her. Yeah, so, I, I see and hear these people. Yeah, so this is the famous Jordy. Uh-huh. So, um, so that will allow us to do podcasts remotely through like FaceTime or mm-hmm. Skype. Now, granted, we got to kind of do a few things. And obviously, it, I think it matters the your audio quality on the other end of picking up mm-hmm. but i mean you can do it with headphones but it depends how that would actually pick up through voice but yeah. i see people do it all the time and they're just talking on like headphones or mm-hmm. just talking to the computer so we will probably be fine um but it's trying to make sure the quality is not sacrificed i do like more in person but mm-hmm. obviously if i say hey phil you want to do another podcast you can sit there on your coppola and mm-hmm. you know with a i don't know uh uh a cocktail and be out on your deck doing with the my pod- fresh elderberry syrup I just canned day before yesterday. Perfect. So you can be with that, and then yep. you, you know we can do it remotely where you don't have to physically drive to Plattsburgh. What's the mm-hmm. distance? Hour- Two hours. It wasn't bad. And I well, it could have been shorter. Um, I opted to go through Saranac versus going like the Malone Military Turnpike way because I'm going to go that way home, so it's more enjoyable for me to take. Two so you came routes. down through like Shattergate Lake, Shazy Lake. No. I don't think I went through either of those. I took, I went to Paul Smith's, turned left on 86, oh, ended up on Route 3. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's the way. If, yeah, see, so you must have to come down below, because mm-hmm. if you go out through Shazy Lake and Chattagay Lake, which will take you up to Chattagay, mm-hmm. actually, you have to go to Malone? Yeah. That's a much better drive. It is. It's on the GPS. You- it was like 15 minutes shorter. But I was willing to go the extra 15 minutes if it meant I could go through the mountains and have a different route home. No, but I'm saying on your route home, because you have to go through where? Malone. Oh, I would take that route. Because you can go, I'm saying, if you go up over Danamora, mm-hmm. go past the, the, the prison and go up over Shazy Lake. If you go down through Shazy Lake and just, I forgot, the, uh, it's 374. Mm-hmm. Take 374 all the way out and it literally takes you, you can either hit the Brainerdsville, you kind of reconnect there and go right out to Malone, which is mm-hmm. probably the fastest. That would be the fastest. You don't have to go to Chattagay and over. Yep. I can show you that route. You okay. you would much rather. I would take that a million times over going down Turnpike. Okay, good. Have you ever been down the Turnpike? Oh yes. Yeah, it's just boring. Mm-hmm. So if That's you go down this, you, yeah, if you go down this, you literally go down the Shazy Lake. So you go through Shazy Lake, then mm-hmm. the Shattagay Lake, and you go through all these cabins. You'd love it. I think mm-hmm. it's it's a nice, it's pretty. And to be honest, I don't think I think it would be actually quicker. I'm down. Okay, I'll show you the route and. Put on your GPS and you can figure it out. You're, you're a smart kid. So, but that's a better route for sure. Sounds oh, good. Cool. All right. So we'll end there. Uh, we're going to go get some, uh, I think, Yama. Do you know what that is? Sushi. You like sushi? You don't? Oh, seafood. Oh, do you they, don't? Do they do vegetarian? Uh... They do. We'll, we'll call an audible. We'll do something different. Okay. That's fine. There's other places. I just, that's fine. We'll, I we'll... heard the Twisted Carrot was closed. I've been there once and I loved it. Oh, did you? I don't know. It's Tuesday. We'll, we'll figure it out. Okay. We'll, we'll make a game time decision. Okay. Oh, so um, that, that is Mr. Philip Page. Um, Phil, Phil, if anybody wants to reach you, how do they reach you? Instagram at Philip Lloyd Page or Facebook. Um, I think also Philip Lloyd Page on there too. Cool. Perfect. Great guy. If you guys are out in St. Lawrence County or I guess all the way to Malone, he will be willing to help you out. And Phil, I appreciate you coming on the show. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Awesome. That's episode 47 with Phil Page. Thanks for listening to the Galen Trombley Show. If you want to reach me, you can go on Facebook at Galen Trombley, on Instagram at Galen Trombley, and on YouTube at Galen Trombley. The spelling, G-A-E-L-A-N-T-R-O-M-B-L-E-Y.